A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes, as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. That point this week would be through the entirety of Shadows of Self, the fifth entry of the Cosmere, the second entry in Era 2 of the Cosmere, and the first entry of the second trilogy of the Mistborn (laughs) series. Did I get that all right? <laughs> Mostly. I mean, technically, it's the sixth entry of the Cosmere, I think. Actually, seventh entry. You're as good as you could have done. Okay, cool. <laughs> hey there, this is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers like we tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. I think Branderson was drunk when he thought up the uh, the numbering scheme of these books. Crossland is chasing a mouse, maybe? I don't know. He heard something in his kitchen and now he's running behind him. I was like, why the fuck hasn't the fan turned off yet? So took care of that. Shut up, fan. Shut up. Nobody loves you. Oh, no, this is a great time for that because we're going to have to edit around this. I figured I am a video. This fucked up my whole setup when you did that this time for some reason. God, what did you just say? Back, backing up one second. Branderson must have been drunk when he was putting together the numbering scheme of these books. <laughs> so here's here's like a fun, a fun thing that isn't necessarily a spoiler. So you have Mistborn Era 1, right? Mm-hmm. We've also read Elantris. We've also we haven't read Warbreaker yet, but that's next up for short poor Cosmere reads. Oh, I was and saying Cosmere. I meant Scadrial. I meant Scadrial specifically. Right. Scadrial, you're right on. Okay, you said Cosmere, and I was like, it's I, not first I in did. the Cosmere. I think technically published Elantris is first in the Cosmere. I think. However, Era Two is the latest entry in the Cosmere. So this is actually past technically in the timeline of books that we will eventually be going back and reading. So chronologically for Mistborn, it makes sense to be reading this. But for the Cosmere on the whole, some other events are happening at the same time or before or before. Okay, yeah, it's interesting. I just got like a toasted marshmallow taste. Ooh, yummy, (laughs) yummy, yummy, yummy. You'll understand why in a second, folks. Okay, so today is our final episode, of course, discussing Shadows of Self by Brandon Sanderson, and we are going to chat about chapter 20 through the end. Lots of short chapters this week, which makes for a really fast set of notes. It's it's interesting. We'll talk about this in the general, but before we get in too far into kind of the general breakdown of the week, PJ, what are you drinking? So, we decided... Based on the fact that like I, I put together the bleeder cocktail last week, and this week it is obviously still revolving around this character who goes by several names. So starting sort of with the same base of whiskey Campari between Crossland and I. So a whiskey Campari building a different cocktail. And mine is named Lessie. His is Paalm. I hope that's not stepping on your toes by no. revealing that. And what I came up with was I I wanted to kind of evoke the roughs a little bit and evoke the Wild West sort of feeling. So I did two ounces of bourbon, two ounces of pineapple juice, one ounce of lemon juice, 
half an ounce of Campari, half an ounce of cinnamon syrup, two dashes of Peychaud's bitters, shook all of that, and then smoked it in the glass. So you get this like bonfire feel. There was a decent amount of sugar between the, the pineapple and the cinnamon syrup that's interacting now with that smoke really interestingly and creating this, like I said before, burnt marshmallow kind of effect. And it's surprisingly delicious. I didn't think it would work out as well as it did, but smoked pineapple I've had. There was a, I think the Nordic is a brewery in Monticello and they do a smoked pineapple beer. That's really, really good. So I was kind of trying to pull off that a little bit. But then the bourbon, I used a Yellowstone bourbon in this one because that's the bourbon that I've got right now. And I think it works really well. So happy with it. But before we talk about back half beers, since we're kind of mirroring each other, I do want to go with my cocktail just since we're kind of approximating the same thing. So the general idea is, you know, approaching this character from from a couple of different lenses. You did the bleeder last week, and I thought it'd be really fun to start with that base. I do want to add, we both also put lemon juice in ours. So there is also that similarity in the base. So for comparison's sake, I did the palm of which I thought is this complex, but like occluded, you know, like the Condrar, they're, they're distance and different, and you can't quite see through them or see who they really are more often than not. So I did two ounces of end of days, rye, half ounce of Campari, a quarter ounce of maraschino liqueur, three quarter ounces, of simple syrup, three quarter ounces of lemon juice and an egg white. So this ended up being really tasty, after I added the maraschino, before I added the maraschino, it was kind of flat. It just needed just a little bit more sweetness. So you could actually probably get away with it with just a little bit more simple syrup instead. But the maraschino gives it a, a complex, more complex flavor profile that I really appreciated. All right. So very tasty. So, Not in the direction of marshmallow, like campfire <laughs> marshmallow. This This is more like... It's more like a refined version of a sour. Like it's it's a whiskey style. I think we were talking about the possibility of this happening on accident, but it's kind of like a whiskey style jungle bird, but without the pineapple, which makes for a very herbaceous sort of beverage. Okay, awesome. But you get so, a lot of those um, same notes. Since we've been playing with, uh, with chartreuse quite a bit, you and I personally... I feel like that could fit in there in place of that maraschino as well, or maybe in addition to it, it would change the sort of level of herbaceousness, but there's a decent amount of sweetness in that already that could play. I think, I think it could, I was just afraid of overwhelming the rest of the profile. So I went with maraschino as my like quick fix to like try to, because like I said, I tried it before I added the maraschino and I was like, Hmm, it's just like a little off. And that maraschino really, touched it up so i think to the same degree chartreuse can be so intense that i don't typically go to it for doctoring a drink unless i feel like it needs that like herbaceous bitter note point to a dash of absinthe maybe yeah which i've which i've done before too i i pretty much use the two absinthe and chartreuse green chartreuse interchangeably for fixing cocktails that have like just they're just missing a little fleck of something interesting it's often my go-to so God, it sounds, I, sounds I, delicious though, man. It's super good. I wish that we could be trying these in the same room and like pass them so that you could come off with your notes. <laughs> that would have made this experience much more interesting. But nonetheless, mm. I think there are two very good cocktails based on the, the builds. I love that cinnamon syrup idea. I didn't want to go too complex with my syrup choice. So I just went with base, but I considered the fire pepper lemon syrup that I have. 
That could have been cool. That would have been real off the wall, though. It would have been real off the wall. Yeah, it would have been very crazy. Yeah, but sometimes that would have been a know, lot of flavors. <laughs> sometimes you need a revolution. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kill God and all that. <laughs> What's your back half beverage? My back half beer is a boysenberry, raspberry, blueberry, plum sour from Lua Brewing Company. It's called Baby Blue Sedan. It is out of Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, they've been doing a lot of collaborations in the in the Minneapolis area. Their head brewer originally worked at Forager, and which has a ton of acclaim and and deservedly so. But they've been doing a lot of collaborations with like Fair State and I think Blackstack, a couple other people. So excited to try this. I, I've got a four pack of it, have not yet opened one. So we'll see how okay. that goes. But you're not going to crack it and try it right now? Okay, fine. Yeah, I feel like you got to. I feel like I got to. I haven't done like a, do a super fruity sour in a while. I know. That's going to be really like definitely take a sip and take a second. Okay. I really appreciate that they've done a good job of balancing that tartness. Because so often with these super, super fruited sours, it's just sweetness. And it's it's sour by name only. But these this one seems to actually have a decent backbone in acid with waves of different fruits coming through. That plum definitely comes through, but you wouldn't have expected that to be the dominating flavor. I don't know what boysenberry tastes like on its own. See, so that's what I was about to say is I don't know why, but I always associate boysenberry with like a little bit of an acidic sort of berry. Like it's a deep, it's a deep, rich berry flavor, but it always gets like, I love boysenberry syrup on pancakes. That is my choice syrup for, for all intents and purposes. But I do get like a little bit of an acid note usually in that. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if that's part of the reason that they pair it could with be. The, and you, like I said, when you listed off all of those berries, I was like, that's a ton of different flavors but it's cool to hear that it comes in waves and you're actually experiencing each of them as opposed to you know mm-hmm. just kind of washing each other out yeah or at the very least there's kind of an undercurrent of blueberry and it it hits you with the raspberry right away and that plum comes in at the end and i'm, I'm guessing mm-hmm. that boysenberry if if you're to be believed is kind of a, a like in addition to yeah. to the acid so that's awesome yeah, like I said, it's what I associate with boysenberry. It's not necessarily that that's fully true, but it it a lot of those mm-hmm. smaller berries do. Even like raspberry feels like it has an acidic note when you bite into it, and you get a little bit of that that like burst of sour. And boysenberry is effectively in the same. Mm-hmm. I think it's in a closer grouping with blueberry, actually. But I'm no, it might be blackberry. Fuck. Point being, a little bit bitter, a little bit sour, whichever way you kind of look at that. Awesome. But what about you? Back half beer? I didn't. I, <coughs> I saw you weren't holding a beer. It's true. True. I had to pick up the wine bottle so that I could read it. I am having Alto Vuelo Reserva. So this is a Sablanc um, from 2020 in the Casablanca of Chile. Casablanca Valley, excuse me, of Chile. It's pretty good. It's not unreasonable. I wanted something a little bit different, something lighter. And we were chatting earlier about uh, another one of the shows and I want something to kind of sip on that wasn't going to be too much. So I figured wine made sense. So I picked that up today and was like, 
I'll use this as back half and sipping beverage for, you know, however long the conversation goes. So awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's gotten a lot better since I, it's been open for a bit. At first, I was like, this is garbage and I'm not drinking it. And that's about where I started the night. And then as it was exposed to air, as it warmed up even a little bit, it tasted a lot better. So, yeah, good. That's where we're at. That's awesome. I haven't had a good in wine any- in a while. I wouldn't. It's been a minute. I mean, I haven't sat down Friends and drank a bottle of wine in a while. Fair enough. <laughs> Friends at home. I would not seek out this bottle of wine. It's a good wine. It is a reasonable wine. It was a it was a cold wine, cold white. You know, it was something that was going to be accessible. Not my favorite, but it does have the buttery notes that you kind of expect of a Sauvignon Blanc. So a little bit of that clay, you know, mm-hmm. but not quite, not quite there in the ways that I like. Sauvignon Blanc is such a tough thing for me. Like a lot of the Sauvs are, like a lot of white wines are. Like there is a distinct line between something that is incredible. And something that is just mediocre, especially in white wines, I feel personally. But in a lot I haven't more taken wines, a ton of time with mediocre. I hadn't either until we went to Napa Valley for the Iron Man, and it was truly when we were at Peju had a really good one. That was like where that was, but that was later. The one that got me was the Lancaster. I think if I remember mm. correctly, the Chalk, Chalk Hill had a really good one, but the Lancaster white that came out of the clay egg was the best white wine and opened me up to even the idea of potentially liking white wine as much as like, like finding those flavors that are so distinct. Yeah. That's what I remember. Gotcha. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. That was a great one. That's a great trip. Okay. Before we go too far down this rabbit hole, because I could definitely talk about wine for a while. PJ, how do you feel about this week's reading? We're done with another book. I mean, the first in a trilogy. We are done with another book. (sighs) so fucking stupid yeah (laughs) but i like i said last week i think i'm starting to understand it more or maybe this was i can't remember when i was saying that but at the same time like this it's clearly the sequel to alloy of law it's hard to say it's not and i know i know you're not saying that but right i'm shit posting at this point (laughs) but how do you feel about the week how do you feel about you know the end of this book how do you feel about you know it is breakneck, man. <laughs> There's a lot mm-hmm. that happens. And I think that's pretty on par for Branderson. He, he tends to knock him up or set him up and knock him down when it comes to the end. Lots and lots going on. But I can tell that he wrote, he's writing more and more cinematically in not only the action sequences, but in framing of conversations it feels very easily adaptable which it was still the case in the first era but this is so much more specific to it does that make sense do you have more on that yeah it definitely makes sense i i don't i just didn't want to cut you off if you had more reading here think that one of the things that i noticed especially in this reread and the more that i've thought about a lot of sanderson works on the whole not exclusively but a lot of things is that they feel more like grown-up screenplays than they do standard novels, if that makes sense. And I I don't, I don't, none of this is dressing down or like trying to demean what Sanderson does by any stretch. I just think that he doesn't linger on flowery language, and he said that himself, because he wants you to paint the image in your head on your own. And 
that can be powerful, but at the same time, it can sometimes only be as powerful as your imagination versus having like a little bit of guidance that can get you there in certain moments and scenes, which is also why I think that he's gotten better. You know, that's that's been my new go to description as I've thought about Mistborn Era one and Mistborn Era two is like grown up screenplays to some degree. Yeah, we, I've talked before about I, I have trouble visualizing things in my head, and I think there are a lot of scenarios in this sort of resolution phase of this book where I just can't quite grasp what's actually happening action wise. I think Um, there's some lack of clarity in this last section. I don't want to downplay that either because I do agree with you. mm -hmm. So specifically the moment calling it out right now, the moment in which Lessie jumps out the window and fires some shots and wax drops down and dropping down can imply that he jumps out the window or f- just goes to the ground. And it's not perfectly clear because of assumptions in the scene. That moment got me in this reread. Yeah, there's that. The fact that they're jumping back and forth so so frequently between these major scenes. The one I'm specifically thinking of is the end big sort of battle scene with the Alamancers. Uh, with Marisy and Ready, I don't quite understand what's happening <laughs> in the actual setup of the battleground. You know, like it, mm-hmm. it feels very unspecified. Yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of it's very amorphous. And I think that that's something. This is something that I did want to talk about at this point that I had made mention of earlier. It's interesting to me that if you compare Alloy of Law and Shadows of Self, the way that Shadows of Self. Often, instead of doing these very short chapters, like the end of this book does, did a long chapter with longer sections and with similar cuts. Like, all together, to me, chapters 26, 24, 25, even 20, all of part three feels like one long chapter. And there's nothing wrong with that, necessarily. But I do think that we lose grounding in moments a couple of times because of the way that it's split up. Like even when I approach writing these notes, so as to not be redundant, I joined the scenes back together so we could talk about the whole moment that works great for TV and for drama that way. And it does keep us engaged, like wanting to get to the next thing. But at the same time, you lose, you lose some, some shit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I didn't quite understand why it was broken into a third part. That felt unnecessary to me. Yeah, to me, it's chapter the end is part three. That's my joke that I didn't write in the script, but I have in my notes right here. Sometimes I have some stuff that I don't show you because I want to save it for later. But part three is just chapter the end. Like, it's just climax yeah. the the section. And it's 60 pages. Like, it's not a whole ton. This si- isn't to there's a 60 down. page chapter in this book, isn't there? I think there's a 40 page chapter in this book. It's a very long chapter. There's like, oh, yeah, no, I think you're right. It's it's like chapter four or five or something like that that we talked about all the way in episode one where it's like, like, this is three chapters because it was an hour of audiobook. (laughs) Yeah. And now we've got the opposite where like these last three chapters feel like a single one. The last four chapters, four chapters, whatever, whatever it is, it's. Point it's being, yeah, opposite problem. It, it feels like it was one continuous scene. And I, again, I don't, I, I really like it. I really enjoy the outcome, but I do have some, 
I wouldn't even call them reservations. I, there, there's some things that's like, this is done for effect to be engaging, but I think you lose some things because you were trying to be engaging in breakneck. Yeah. So that that's my criticism of this book on the whole. I think that's pretty much it because I think that also the emotional moments that happen over the course of this chapter are incredible. They're well written. There's some of personally this death meant more than most of the deaths in the first era in, mm-hmm. in like in terms of character impact and the way it felt on the page, the second death of Lessie was heartbreaking, especially as wax actually comes to realize that it is Lessie a second time. Yeah. I still want to know now where is Lessie fit into the fridge conversation? I don't think she's fridged. And so this is why I kind of held my tongue way back when <laughs> is because I was like, you're the one that brought fridged. up fridging. I know, I know, but I said like I she's kind of fridged. I know, and I explained mm. because I wanted to also give context to our audience, right? And like give kind of the idea and, and make sure that we highlight it. But at the same time, I was like, I don't know if it really counts, especially in my head. I was like, especially if you consider later context, I'm not sure that she's fridged. But if you consider this book as a single entity and you don't consider it a part of a series, perhaps, or a trilogy of stories, then that book, she feels fridged. So, yeah, if you only had that book, Lessie feels like a fringed character. Do you think when he wrote that book, he knew that Lessie was a Chandra? I genuinely think so. Actually, I genuinely think that that is not something that was gone back and reinvented because where does the yeah, where does the someone else moves us like line come in then? That's near the end of the first book near the end it's miles oh that's miles that's not that's not bloody tan never mind yeah no it's oh it is also bloody tan i'm pretty sure okay double check real quick i think this is worth it because this is a good point give me one second because that whole thing was kind of alluding to the idea of being manipulated by harmony Mm -hmm. and if bloody tan isn't somehow also connected it is bloody tan okay I'm still not sure what to think of that. I'll, I'll have to take some time to think on it. Yeah, it raises Maybe the another question. Couple books. It's fair. It raises the question. I, I don't think it raises the question of were Bloody Tan and Lessie working together. I think it raises the question of was Bloody Tan under a different influence more than it does. You know, was Bloody Tan under a different influence? Did he know what Lessie was? Like whether or not they were working together is is one fair. thing. Versus Fair fucking question understanding who she is. That's that's a great point. And that's why I really love I love the prologue of Alloy of Law, especially in hindsight with <laughs> this information. It beefed up that book so much for me, especially that prologue. It just oh God. But it was so hard to talk about at the time because it's like it's pretty good. Like it's pretty cool. Right. And instead of like this is crazy foreshadowing like this is wonderful delicious foreshadowing right so yeah cool all right feel feel satisfied with that general yeah no i think so all right let's go into our breakdown here and we'll start with chapter 20 which technically has the most notes of any single chapter (laughs) in this week (laughs) it's the first one that we read and then after that they're all pretty breezy chapter 21 you know similar but everything else is pretty much just Boom, 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 because of how fast everything goes. So 
We start off this chapter with a familiar voice to us, but a new one to Wax, and it's our prime good boy, our faceless immortal Tensoon. There's kind of a funny interaction here that I really appreciate where Tensoon is kind of upset at Seizen for using his name the way that he did in, inside of the book as though he's now been turned and like society as such has turned him into like this demeaning toy. <laughs> the Sunni. Yeah, the, you, yeah you know, Sunni pups. Yeah, Sunni pups. That's what it is. But beyond, you know, the incidental, accidental God marketing a dog as a toy, I really appreciate the idea that the Chondra have like integrated into society. We knew this, of course, from Milan a little bit before, but this idea that they're also still doing quote God's work quote to counteract Bleeder in a nonviolent way. You know, it's it's showing that harmonious balance and like trying to strive for something that doesn't kill people because. The other way would it's it's an interesting counterbalance point still using the chondra as a tool for harmony yeah since the first mention of the faceless immortals or the chondra i'd been looking forward to this meeting mm-hmm. of ten soon coming forward bringing up the point of being upset that harmony used ten soon's image like this puts a lot of responsibility on tensu or on harmony actually doing this as opposed to giving the doctrine and giving the history of what happened and letting people run with it which is harmony's mo it's what he's been wanting anyway so i don't necessarily think that tensoon is right in saying that harmony put forward this marketing campaign for tensoon i think it's i'm not trying to play it that way necessarily i'm thinking it's more that Sazed wasn't as cautious as he should have been with some of the things that he said. Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't think that it was a malicious so. intent or campaign. No, no but I don't ten, think Tensoon, Tensoon does either. Tensoon kind of seems to think that way. He seems irritated with Sazed's handling of the name. I would throw to you, yes, I he definitely is irritated. I think that's partially because it, conjure are very private beings they have been forever mm-hmm. right and so being publicly exposed like that even if it's for history's sake is, is something that he can't sign on for but i think it also like i was saying kind of points to this idea that like harmony was a fallible person at first for sure despite yeah. divine means and so you know didn't consider the fallout of a lot of those choices yeah that's fair which includes marketing little fucking <laughs> dog toys <laughs> One thing I am very genuinely surprised by is that Tensoon decided to keep the wolfhound body throughout mm-hmm. all of this as his form of choice. I know he got uncomfortable with it and he, he was starting to really see the benefits of using this body, but that was in a very specific scenario where he was jumping through the, through the night with Vin trying to keep up with her. And as far as I can tell, that's not really what he's doing anymore. And it Mm -hmm. feels like maybe it'd be more comfortable to be in a more natural human form. But Tensoon will do as Tensoon does and lean into the embarrassing nature of this, like, demeaning animal body. I don't know. I think he just finds it natural now, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. He's owning it, you know? He is. He's true. He's not wearing that the dress isn't wearing him. He is wearing that dress. You know what I mean? Like it's the same, same concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I just, I really, I really love that Tensoon is back. You know what I mean? Like it was, 
I don't know. I don't think you had picked up on it last week when you heard the voice. If you'd actually caught that it was ten soon or not, it's just no. such a good reveal, especially with the way that that chapter ends with it being that voice, and it's it's almost familiar, but it's just a little bit raspier because he's older. And that's again just credit to Michael Kramer for like just changing it just slightly to convey the extra three hundred years of age. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah, totally fair. Yeah, but as I head deeper into the cavern, we find underground preserved from the end of the world critic shaw um and it's preserved because people had fled there and you know it's a small note but the idea that the pooping room did in fact survive the ending of the world is fucking hysterical to me i could not mention it you know what i mean like this this has been our bit (laughs) since the beginning (laughs) like it's here it's survived Yeah. yeah it's it's just the pooping room that survives right so I think mostly the way that I, the way that my brain envisions this right is they're walking through the caverns and they walk into a big open space, which is that dome that encompassed the pooping room, right? If that makes sense, yeah. And that's how downstairs you'd get the Well of Ascension, you know, and you'd have that storage cache that was there as kind of the front end of the Well of Ascension, and it wasn't a full storage cache, but there was stuff there. That's why they were kind of confused when they walked in in the beginning of book two, and then. You've got like basically tunnels that spiral out from this like subterranean dome. That's how, that's how my brain pictures it. Okay, I can get behind that. Was this but the... the spires were broken and like everything else was destroyed by Vin? You know, and at the end of book three, yeah, it's mentioned that he basically plucked the sort of bunkers or caverns or whatever that people were hiding in, and that was one of them. Was that for the Condra specifically, or was that for everybody? It was for everybody. So he pulled he pulled all of the places that he saw the people in, which were these protected metal entities, right? These those like solid bunkers, basically, and pulled them all together for them to emerge into what was laid out to become Elendel. And so like all of them became centrally located at the end of Hero of Ages. I'd recommend, especially now, having been in era two for a bit just go back and read like the last 50 pages of hero of ages like the last chapter where harmony comes out or like the last two chapters ish to get an idea and to like see that foundation because now that you know where it goes the foundation feels stronger if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and some of those things you know not not like it's overly relevant but it paints a clear picture or a clearer picture i think because why would and this is something that I think Brandon does brilliantly, but like, why would Wax ever linger on those details? That's not something that he would think about. It's not something that would be in any of these POVs that we experience. Right. So. He does mention looking in at the pooping room <laughs> that, that the well of Ascension itself would be in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, so he Underneath. is looking at, at the, yeah. at the entirety of the main structure of Kredik Shah, as opposed to just that hut. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he's also he's also asking all of these questions about Era One, right? And all of these different details. He's he's talking about the Ascendant Warrior directly with Tensoon mm-hmm. and the Katasandre, the end of the world itself. You know, and, and we get some like details and even what happens to Mistwraiths when they revert or when the Condor reverted to Mistwraiths, where it's like details became fuzzy for certain portions of life, but not necessarily holistically gone like he lost some some segments of memory as a part of that animalization or like reversion but he didn't lose everything 
Well, yeah, he says it seemed to be directly related to the amount of time. Yes, yes, um, it was proportional. Yeah, he said he was a mistwraith for an hour, so he lost mm-hmm. a lot of the most recent memories, but yeah. very crisply remembers his interactions with Vin as like the last thing he remembers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he lost a lot of the battle, but he remembers everything mm-hmm. else. And that it's it's such inside of this little segment is also probably even better than anything written in era one about like Vin as a character, this, his summary that he gives of Vin is so heart wrenching. It is, it is this idea that she is just this beautiful, wonderful person who would fight for anyone and everyone. And it, it makes me, want the tv show that we've been talking about or the movie or whichever way it goes of this because i think that current brandon would write a lot more compassion into that story and her character arc as much as much as possible like i just see the way brandon's grown as a writer and i can imagine him writing a lot of those segments very differently to convey emotion differently and so that's why i'm excited for the tv show because i think it will just extend a lot of those things like this wouldn't be the most satisfying decision but i could see it working really well what if the tv show is entirely set in era two and there are like vignettes Mm. of our mistborn heroes i so i really like that idea and the reason that I really like that idea is because you basically described the Wheel of Time. So I was thinking that, Black Freighter, frankly. I mean, to be to be frank, like the Wheel of Time uses the entire idea of the Wheel of Time vaguely. This isn't even spoilers for folks that haven't read it. This is just the idea that's conveyed very, very early on is everyone is a recycled soul and everything is recycled in the world and the wheel weaves and and everything is reused for its intended end purpose. And as such, a number of things continue to resurface. And so sometimes people have memories of lives that their souls equivalently lived before. And similarly, a lot of that history works itself out naturally as either memories come out or as we talk about this like futuristic past or you have a character of whom has a very direct connection with with their past self and can basically see into a lot of that past and is almost two people in one body. Yeah. I mean, so I totally understand exactly what you're saying. I think that I would rather see era one and then era two, if that makes I, sense from that perspective. I know, but yeah. I, but I, I can also see agreeing with the framing idea. Like I can, I can see that working. I would just prefer the other. I feel like there's so much more content that can be just kind of implied out of era two. Whereas era Mm -hmm. one is very strict events that can be kind of plucked and focused on is obviously like its own story, but Mm -hmm. I could see it just living in, in segments and then being able to sort of directly compare what happened to how it's preached now, 300 years later. To that, I think that that is going to be a very interesting thing for a show to handle at some point, a la Game of Thrones, you know, in House of the Dragon mm-hmm. at this point. We're starting to see those comparisons. Also, eventually, I think we'll be able to extract that from Rings of Power in the way that stories are talked about in the Third Age and kind of how it's 
mythologized, even though some of those people are still living. But I do think from a a presentation perspective, what you, what you could really gain by doing era one and then era two is use era two to go back and sometimes fill in details from era one that were missing. You know what I mean? Okay. Like you can use it to like wheel back the other way like that, especially, I mean, a great instance of this that we're seeing in the text right now is what happened when the Condra pulled out their spikes. Right. And so you can get some of these different moments and elements that were missing or like the fact that bleeder was the pet Condra of the Lord ruler, right? This is another great thing that's brought up inside of this, this chapter, right? Is this idea that like, what did bleeder actually do? And then you can go back and you can kind of see and, you know, like a, a fun animatic style cutscene, and, and maybe like a, you know, artsy cut, you can, you can see a takeaway of like bleeder toppling empires as the shapeshifter, which would be super cool. You know, yeah. I, I think that would be one of the really cool things to see is have this base history of era one and then start to see it expanded upon 300 years and a world ending event later. Right. Yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah. Speaking of Bleeder and Palm and Lessie, as as we know this being, we see, we come to a scene that Bleeder had left. The words of founding with lies, lies, lies written on them in blood. And we get a lot of this lore that I was just talking about with Bleeder, that she was this pet conjurer of the Lord Ruler and showed back up unexpectedly after the fact, which is great that, of course, she survived and Tensoon was very appreciative because she's a skilled person who could guide the conjurer into the future. But it really begins to get to the heart of her intent here, which is for her to take down Harmony, because apparently he had her do something despicable, of course, of which we know by the end of the story what that despicable thing is for her yeah the subsequent read-throughs of this this takes on a very different vibe it's fucking brutal yeah yeah this book pays more dividends than most of sanderson's books do on reread in my head because of the deep emotional connection between bleeder lessie and wax and the way that this entire story plays out yeah totally it, it really changes and recontextualizes the entire story. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. They, so many times authors have great twists that I think ultimately pay good dividends for the end of a story. This pays dividends for all of the story. Like it pays dividends for the book prior, even and in different times, like we were talking about earlier. Like this is a man's entire being that's being defined by mm-hmm. a lie. A forced lie like this is beautiful in the same way that Looper is beautiful to me and like that appreciation of layers of story interacting with each other over a time loop effective like it's it's the same kind of meaty thing that I really love it is and the most impressive part of it is that it's still a satisfying story mm-hmm. in and of itself without that reveal right like True. it that's some depth right there yeah oh yeah like the again like you're saying without that you have the innate reveal you have a lot of these different character moments that come to fruition you milan and and some of the humor that comes out there there's ah, this book is so good i think it might be my favorite mistborn book and i'm i'm not saying that to like demean bands of mourning since we haven't read it yet but i think I love the way that this attacks character in a different way that Brandon has never touched. And I know I know that that's a very uncommon opinion that 
Shadows of Self is like most people rated a 3.5, if that makes sense on, on the shelf. And I'm like, I don't, I have a tough time at a 10 or at a five, excuse me. It's like a seven. Yeah. 3.5 out of 10 would be bad, but I don't know. I have a, I have a tough time. I, hmm. you don't like sevens though. I don't, I don't, which I wouldn't give this a seven. I would give it an eight. Like this is on the other side of that coin for me. Yeah. I'm just fucking with you there. Yeah. You, you want the honest truth. Hero of Ages is a six. Well, Ascension is an eight and a half, eight, some, somewhere in there. Mistborn's an eight. It's probably eight and a half, but like mm-hmm. top of that pile. You could go because nine. Because I can't give sevens. That's the rule. I don't think I would give it a nine because there are flaws that we talked about earlier with the writing in different moments. But the story beats, I'm in love with. I'm in love with the story beats of this story. So, yeah. So you want to give pros. it a four and a quarter stars? I would give it a four and a quarter star. All right. Pretty easily. Yeah. I would also give Well of Ascension four and a quarter star, but I would, if I had to give like a, a preference, I would give this the preference. Okay. So, and that's, I'm very excited to again reapproach Bands of Morning because maybe that'll change, but with, with kind of the slow, slower perspective, but we'll see. So, all right. Anyway. We move to Wayne, and we get to see a demonstration of what Tensoon had mentioned of the Chondra Priest replacements promoting peace. Holy shit. That is, I (laughs) I wrote that myself, (laughs) and that is such a diction-based sentence that's incredible. There's so much consonance there. Okay, I'm going to... We're just going to do it, it again so that I can give try it, to get through it because it it's very funny to me. So we move to Wayne and we get to see the demonstration of what Tensoon had mentioned of the Chondra priest replacements promoting peace throughout the city and the conspirators spreading the negative news and riling up the populace. Well, he's got one of those Chondra melting serums and injects that that guy that's up there that was rioting them and, and pushing them to to this edge of uh, the precipice of bursting over and, and rioting in the city uh, has one of those conjure melting serums as obviously planted by bleeder and injects the priest with it. Despite Wayne attempting to make this stop jumping between his speed bubbles. Yikes. First of all, I had completely forgotten the effect of this serum. I thought it straight mm-hmm. up killed the conjure. Yeah. And in the, like my first read through of this, I'm like, Holy fuck. <laughs> like we're seeing this like torturous Murder. death scene. Jesus. And then I remembered. It was all good. It's still fucked up, but mm-hmm. it was just a little gloopy for a little bit. And then they're fine. Yeah. Because um, Milan gets stabbed later. Right. So, yeah. Whew. But this is another one of the examples of really not super clear action being described, specifically that of the speed bubble that Wayne puts forward and how he was planning on like. Putting the bubble down and like running. Was he doing almost a sort of horseshoe trick of his own in that he was going to kind of overlap bubbles and try to like move forward without actually like letting time continue for long enough? Well, he had to let time continue, but that was so because he's only one Alamancer of Bandeloy, he has to break the bubble because the bubble is centered on himself and he can only maintain one bubble at a time. So as he runs, he drops the bubble, runs to the edge, breaks the edge, removes the bubble from existence, pops up a new bubble, runs to the edge, drops the bubble, pops a new bubble. So, so it's, like it's a horseshoe trick. Yes. Horseshoe trick was a great way of describing it. OK, I wasn't it wasn't super clear. No, for me. 
but it's also because he doesn't really accomplish it. Like it, it it's not the end goal of the scene is not that he was capable of actually pulling this off. Yeah. So. And he's catching other people in the bubble. Right. Which is disrupting the crowd, disrupting yeah. the crowd. Somebody notices him and recognizes him, which that seems really out of out of character for Wayne. He is always in disguise. He's always very careful about like how he's presenting himself and doesn't seem to be a physical, physically described character like waxes in folks. So I I was, it felt odd to me that he was so easily noticed and the entire crowd immediately turned as well. Unless that was again, always part of the plan. I don't know. No, I I think, again, I agree with you. I think that it's not necessarily that it was always... I think that part of the reason that he's not in disguise is because this was never a part of any plan. Every other time, Wax has been... or Sorry, Wayne has been specifically gearing up for something and grabbing disguises because he's anticipating what he has to do, his role that he's going to play. Here he's observing. Like, this is not meant to be anything. This is meant to be watching a riot. But when he sees something bad happen, he reacts to it because he wants to save that person. He wants to save that individual. So that's where, for me, it breaks, where it's like he wouldn't be disguised to begin with because, you know, it's on the lexicon at the moment. Fair. So, yeah. It's, It's a crazy moment, though. It's kind of the whole droopy stabby needle thing for Condra is very horror driven it's very it reminds me of the thing like i want to see john carpenter's take on Condra so mm. badly oh yeah right oh that's interesting yeah i would yeah. lose my shit for that yeah yeah that'd be pretty good mm-hmm. i think so all right anything in the paper that you want to talk about it's the last paper of the book so it's Fine. mostly an Elemancer Jack story, but yeah, fuck ton of product placement right there. True. This felt like the most clearly yellow journalism of all the papers that we've seen doing everything possible to paint wax in a bad light without actually saying anything bad about him, you know, mm-hmm. just assuming making the assumption and allowing everybody to go along with the assumption that everybody thinks he's a bad dude. It was kind of clever, but like that's, I mean, that's what this is, but this one was definitely the most overt clear examples of that, of the what three or four that we see. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think that this is, I think, I think it's three. I think we see three because I don't think we saw one week one. I think we see one beginning of week two and, yeah, so I think we just see okay. three papers in total. But yeah, I do agree with you. I think that this is a great example of the old journalistic styles and how you can defame someone without really specifically defaming them because it's done in fiction in this way, which is why, again, every book starts with none of the people in this book are every fiction book starts with none of the people depicted in this book are real or named people. Any in any incidental namings are accidental and not implied, which is how you can get away with like crazy shit like this. This is a newspaper before that standard existed. Um, But, you know, like the warehouse, the warehouse guy is very clearly what's his name? The CEO of Walmart forever. It's the patriarch of the Uh, Walton family uh, to begin with. 
Sam? What's Walton? Sam? Sam Walton. Sam. Yeah, like, very clearly Sam Walton. But he gets away with it by like dodging around, even naming him anything anywhere near and then fusing together with with Bezos. Yeah. Yeah. Some similar concept, but this is very direct. This is before that standard was adopted, clearly. And so we mm. get to see, you know, we get to see yellow journalism in action, which is fun, <laughs> I think. True. Exactly. To your point, though, you can get pretty overt with it and still fall under that parody law. Like, yeah, satire and parody is, yeah. Right. For example, all of South Park with that That's little true. disclaimer right at the beginning. Any likenesses are entirely accidental. True. <laughs> and just name them exactly who they are. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. Fair point. Cool. All right. With that, we go into chapter 21. We move back to Wax and Tensoon, away from Wayne, of whom have a quick discussion about Bleeder thinking about her actions as freeing the people from the influence of Harmony when they're interrupted by a shrill howl from the corridor. They quickly rush to find another way out while being chased by a group of hemological constructs. This is like a fucked up first edition prototype of an Inquisitor. Is kind of how or a this colossus. feels to me. Like either way, yeah, or a coloss, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great point too. But it's not either of them. It's just which is really concerning, considering how long the Lord Ruler spent trying to find an additional animal or not animal being that could be created. Insert applause noise here, PJ. (laughs) This is a point that I had written in my side notes that I wanted to bring up here. And I'm so glad that you did because it is a it is something that I think a lot of people misinterpret to some degree is that like this. There's a lot of intent behind the creation here. This isn't as strictly an accident as it appears Mm. because we know that it is so hard to create these things and make them live and do anything to begin with, which implies a lot of knowledge and a lot of guidance of something that we don't understand within the realm of hemology. Like, yes, you, you understand, like we understand the rules of hemology, but this means there's something extra normal yeah. here. The inquisitors also over time, like after, after the Lord rulers death, the inquisitors expand upon what they're able to do with themselves and the spikes that they're able to use and where to place them. So there is innovation that happens within this realm. Guided and by ruin, though. That's the That's thing. a great point. So that's a great point. That's okay. my issue with this. I, I'm yeah. totally on your same train of thought. But the fact is, is that they were guided by ru- ruin. We know that Bleeder isn't working with Harmony, obviously, on any of this. So where the fuck is this coming from? Why can mm-hmm. she speak into Wax's head? There's so many different rules that are being just tweaked and broken that it's like what is going on and with context we know that wax's assumption is to follow the the thread of trell which makes sense as as a another god in the arena it's not wax's it's marisy's is that marisy okay it's marisy i couldn't remember yeah. yeah but to your point yeah at the very end of the book that's kind of what we get mm-hmm it still raises a question there, there be monsters in the god field mm-hmm. and ah oh, man where do those powers lie where are these extra 
metals coming from? Is that similar to Atium, this other god's body? What's going on? Crossing got up and left. Sorry, I just wanted to check the Ars Arcanum real quick. It mentions that there are hypothetical 16 additional metals based on other alloys, I think. What? It's been proposed or something like that. Like an extra, an additional set of 16 metals. I know it mentions that. Whoa. Holy fuck. Okay. You're close, <laughs> but I want to, I want to at the very least elaborate on what you're saying. This is wild. I have never, ever, 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 ever read anything about this. I'm sure, truthfully, I'm very sure that the 17 chart has probably covered this at some point in some extended context. I'm going to read what it says here verbatim just for people since we're talking about this in the moment. Elemancy is a brutal, raw, is brutal, raw, and powerful. There are 16 base metals that work, though two others named the god metals, which is what I was looking for. That's what I was trying to pick this up is like the god metals are ATM and another one that named the that god metals leader locally. uses the spike of right no presumably that one we don't know there oh. is another god metal that i've accidentally named a couple of times on the show not that it really matters he mentions it in this book she doesn't i promise you it's not named until secret history no um, no it's me it's named there's a name of a metal that's mentioned she I mentions a trillium she she mentions this unnamed metal it's not called trillium there's no official it's a nerd thing here let me just make sure okay fuck that she does name lorassium you're right yeah all right we're fine we're fine by the end of the book okay so lorassium and atium which lorassium we should know is the metal the nuggies ellen yeah the powers Okay, so anyway, back to this. Alamancy is brutal, raw, and powerful. There are 16 base metals that work, though two others, named the god metals locally, can be used in alloy to craft an entirely different set of 16 each. As these god metals are no longer commonly available, however, the other metals are not in wide use. So there's 32 additional metals. At, yeah. 32 proposed here. Right, right. She does also compare to Cell, which is the world of Elantra and Investiture, which I think is worth a deeper read. Mm-hmm. But that's completely different context that we don't need to talk about in the moment. Fuck. Truly, PJ. Thank you, because that is not something that was even on my fucking radar. So you can make you could make an alloy of ATM and steel. A hundred percent. And could a could a coin shot use that? No, probably not. Separate separate metal. They can't use that. I would imagine a Mistborn other. could, but I don't Mistborn know. Could. The god metals are an interesting question continually as as they stay in the Cosmere. Who can use, who can't, not in the Cosmere, but in Mistborn, Scadrail. Who can, who can't burn them, you know? And that's been a question kind of in, in the back of my head since Era 1 is, are these people just ATM mistings or were they potentially other kind of mistings? And we didn't get enough time to explore because Maland only had to make sure that certain things worked. So, mm-hmm. man, yeah. <laughs> that is something I was not prepared to even think about at the moment because, all right, fuck. Okay, that's been a digression. We also witness rapid change as Tensoon shifts shapes to help fight these things in some stronger bones. This is like such a strong scene as it's defined as the gunfire lights the tunnel as these things, these hemologic constructs collapse and unwax. And I don't want to point too hard at this, 
But Brandon himself has said many times in interviews that it is very similar to a very specific favorite book series of mine in many moments, and this being one of them that he's talked about many times. <laughs> is this a book series I've read? No, of course it's not. Okay. I'm assuming then Dark Tower. It is the Dark Tower, yes. Okay. This this scene is don't mean to shit on Brandon here. It's an homage. It is a vastly inferior homage. But it's still it's still a powerful moment. It's well described. And that's not even to say that Stephen King was the first person to write something, <laughs> to write a scene like them, or to like even, you know, all writing is an homage to the person who came before you and every all writing, not all writing, but a lot of writing is consistently stepping up quality over time. I'm just glad that people get to experience it. But for me, I'm like, I see you. I know what you're doing. I know what's up. But he's admitting it and he's talking about it. And oh, yeah, in he's totally. I don't think it. that's a yeah. problem. Right, right, right. But mm-hmm. <sighs> man, and it's it's a moment. So they share illustrators as well. Michael Whalen did most of the art, did the art for The Gunslinger and The Dark Tower, book one and book seven. And each other book had different artists. That was kind of the game plan with the whole series was to have a very different feel for everything. Don't want to get into why specifically, but book one and book seven have the same artist, Michael Whalen. Michael Whalen also did the art for The Wheel of Time and also did the art for, or is doing the art rather, for Stormlight. Okay. So he is a shared artist. And so in this moment, <laughs> my brain jumps to Michael Whalen art from the Dark Tower because it's depicted in the book as a piece of art. And I'm like, but it's not, the, it's not, it's not Roland doing the shit and Roland it's so cool so i i love this scene but i've seen it before (laughs) very specifically (laughs) well i liked the scene i hope you did yeah please tell me what you liked about the scene putting me on spot yeah the gunfire lighting it up in the moment when he's shooting the constructs in the tunnels and the way that it illuminates is the bullets yeah and just the The sort of horror aspect of these unknown constructs being seen in essentially strobe light sort of effect is kind of how I imagine it. Yeah. Because you're you're seeing a flash of light. Not as consistent as strobe light. No, that's true. Right. But it's the same idea. Yeah. God, I... Fuck. Every, Every time... I'm overcome sometimes with the idea of just like fucking skipping everything that we had planned and just jumping into the dark tower every once in a while. And I'm just like, one of these days I'm just going to break. And I'm going to be like, no, we're not reading Stormlight Archive next year. We're going to read the dark tower (laughs) for the next like three years. (laughs) It wouldn't take three years. It would take exactly a year the way that I have it laid out. All right. I already have it broken down. I'm ready to go, man. (laughs) (laughs) You don't understand. I've thought about this. I've listened to Dark Tower recap podcasts. Shout out Kingslinger is one of the best podcasts that exists on the planet. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I've I've rethought even how they thought about it because I think that there are some themes that they missed in moments and chapters. So we could do it or it's skipped. I wouldn't say missed. I think they probably chose what they wanted to talk about. But if we get a significant influx in Patreon supporters. Here's here's the answer. We could both quit our jobs and just do multiple series at the same time. It's true. That'll be fun. We're going to figure that out. <laughs> I like this idea. All right. <laughs> All right. So 
I love I do want to at the very least bring up the fact that this like rapid costume change of Tensoons is insane it's considering crazy. the way that we knew that he like even before he was slower you know we we kind of had an understanding that it was going to take time to like get into position in place with bones but this is like and uh, gone yeah and it, i liked the description that wax used to talk about how like seeing how quickly tensoon does this means like recontextualizes uh, his understanding well it recontextualizes his understanding but specifically talking about bleeder and how bleeder is faster than milan but slower than tensoon true and it doesn't mean fuck all because tensoon's basically instantaneous <laughs> it's so it he still has no idea how quickly he just knows faster than 10 minutes basically which leaves a lot to be guessed upon on how quickly she could hypothetically switch forms. Milan or Bleeder, excuse me. Which she- So M- Milan says that Bleeder... I'm just wondering who you're talking about being able to change forms Sorry, faster. sorry. So Bleeder, is that... When, early on, she's talking to Wax and saying, like, Bleeder is faster than Milan is, but not as fast as Tensoon. Right. So he, he had that sort of reassurance, like, okay, she's not the fastest possible. So she's going to have some time. Like if she has to change form, it's going to take a little bit of time potentially. But now oh, understanding yeah. that sure. Tensoon can do it basically instantaneously. He's like, all right, then how the fuck quickly can, can, can bleeder do it? This doesn't give me any like information. <laughs> and is like, it still could be like, she can do it in 20 seconds, which is five times slower than Tensoon. But, still really fucking fast or it'll take five minutes which is twice as fast as milan but significantly slower than tensoon like there's a huge range there and that's pretty much what happens later is that we we kind of see her be able to like pick up and vomit out bones in a similar context and maybe she's running and reforming the skeleton at the same time but at the very least like Mm -hmm. yeah to your point it's a great expression of this moment to be like, okay, so they're both generation third generations and we have an understanding of what they can actually do. Mm-hmm. And she's very experienced in the field mm-hmm. being the pet Chandra of the Lord ruler. She was very experienced and potentially yeah. just ex- experienced as Tensoon was. It also lends an explanation to how she would lean into politics first as her like leverage motivation because she's done this before. This is not mm-hmm. something new to to Bleeder Palm before, right? Yeah. There's there's a line that I hear that I absolutely love. Once the violence has settled, it says, "I will need to ask Harmony if I have failed him in killing this day." And Wax replies, "Why would he care?" He uses me to kill all the time. And Tensoon replies, you are his ruin and I am his preservation. It's just, it's such a strong moment. We were talking about this dichotomy earlier that it comes down to, but this is as cheesy as fuck. And at the same time, profound picture. Yeah. And stabbing that hurts to hear it. You're right. It's it. It feels like it should come off as cheesy, Mm -hmm. but this is so well rooted and so real that 
Like that's exactly what's happening. And it, it fucking sucks to face that down. Absolutely. And, and maybe, I, I mean, maybe that's you, a second read, read through kind of thing to really see that. Like actually though, he's been the, the pawn of the ruin side of harmony for a long time. It makes it more powerful. I think. I, I think I definitely agree with you. I think it also plays into later when like he says that he's the sword, right? You know, and, and that feeds into it, which feeds into the idea of him being the ruin of the whole thing. And this is also recontextualizing the idea of ruin to some degree because ruin can be good. This is something that we talked about a lot near the end is like ruin is progress to some degree. It can be justice like this isn't it's not a death sentence like it appears to be in the immediate moment, but it is it is at the very least a haunting mentality for our lead character to adopt in the moment because he he's only perceiving it as bad and he doesn't have the context that we have well i guess i would say the progress part of that is only when ruin is wielded in conjunction with preservation ruin itself helps usher along those changes but individually is destruction yeah ruin is the change agent in things it's not always destructive but it is the change agent that leads to destruction on the long term i think i think it's the other way around i think it's destruction that leads to change Mm. and i think that's the point i i always thought it was change that always leads to destruction if that makes sense like it's always it is a it is always the end goal of any of the changes or actions that it makes is and results in destruction. We're talking around very similar points. It's semantics. It, it's, there's some there's some nuance there that is, I think, to some degree worth yeah. at the very least talking about for a second longer. So, so I, I always saw it as like ruin is destruction and preservation is the absence of change. And destruction can usher in changes and preservation can slow it tamper it and it's this balancing act to allow things to erode in a controlled manner to bring along positive changes but things need to be destroyed in order for those changes to take place that was my understanding and that's why it hits wax so hard to be be reduced to the agent of destruction for I think you're right. I think I lean your way in post, considering all of the elements. I I do think that there is something to be said that he is just a change agent that is always leading to destruction. But I think it's very core. If you redress it back to its base functionality, it is destruction and destruction leads to change. And the Mm -hmm. ultimate like corrosion of things leads to change. And that corrosion is innately negative as Rune's perspective. That's why I personally am using the term corrosion because I think that's a better way of thinking about it is it's like it is a it is a change. It is a gradual change for the negative. And that's why, like you're saying, harmony tempers that balance. Mm-hmm. Is tamper the better word there or is temper? I think tamper would be the proper one. What's the difference? Tamper. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. In this context, I'm going to say temper instead of tamper. But 
because exert a secret or corrupt influence upon someone. Tempering is like bringing them into line, and that's what I think harmony is doing, or what preservation is doing, is bringing mm-hmm. someone back to the line. It's it's a neutralizing or counterbalancing force. But that is a very narrow discernation <laughs> for like a a crazy, you know, slight difference in words. Right. Yeah. Love it though. I, I fundamentally part of the reason that I love this story as much as I did, and part of the reason I want to uncover it is there's a lot to debate after you get past era one with the idea of godhood and, and the idea of these gods and their influences over worlds and magic systems are cool. The characters are generally pretty good, but the cosmology of this whole universe is the best that I've, I've seen depicted on paper. I think yeah. period. I think that's what I give the Cosmere. Not that we're there yet entirely, but as you can tell, it's already getting really interesting and we have two gods and maybe a third intervening in the moment. Yeah. Maybe PJ, the I, crazy thing there. I'd assume they the come answer. in pairs. Oh, let me tell you, they don't. No, they don't always come in pairs. Well, I, I, I guess harmony. They're not dichotomous. I, I, I'd argue harmony is a single God. And for whatever reason, the powers were split unnaturally at one point and what wielded by two separate people. How interesting. Moving on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we hop over to Wayne real quickly where he finally discovers who Bleeder's impersonating, which we'll come back to in just a little bit. Ah! Here. But this is such a fucking... Ah! No! <laughs> this is such ah! a cliffhanger moment. <laughs> it's, it's, how'd you feel in this moment when you're reading it for the first time? Um, who'd you think? Who'd you who'd you think he keyed into? That's the other uh, question. Like, I absolutely thought it was the governor. Did you? I, I did. In in almost every reread that I've done, I think there is actually not quite enough evidence on the page. There's not. It was a stab. It was a stab yeah. at it. But this is not something know, I've ever assembled from his perspective. I don't remember why I was thinking that. He's listening through a door, right? I think he's listening from under a window. Under yeah. It it felt like it was somebody that. important and somebody notable that he recognized. So it made sense to me that it was head honcho. Yeah. Sorry to just scream ah over your speaking a little bit there. No, I you're you're good. I really couldn't tell you why. Yeah, yeah. So he's underneath the mansion and hears the voice. Mm-hmm. So it is but at the I, gover- governor's mansion. The yes, ma- it's, it's yeah, back at the mansion, mansion. And he, he comes to the realization, which is why, like, at the same time, I'm like, here's I, we've, we've talked about things again. I've, I've said that this is one of my favorite books in the Mistborn series. It's definitely in the top without having reread Fans of Morning super recently. I would say it's in the top three easily. It's definitely right up there with Well of Ascension for me. This is one of those moments, though, that I heavily critique because I don't feel like the story is written like a mystery. It's written almost Holmesian, or it's like it's meant to have us assemble these ideas and thoughts. But I, I think sometimes it doesn't lay them out clearly enough. And this is one of those moments that we get some foreshadowing that we eventually pay off with the gum that is on the wall, and we, we get to kind of see that Wayne put it together. But there's no way for us to know in this moment. There's no way for us to have figured out that 
bleeder was the governor in eight. So that's, I think I'll, I'll probably, it, this plays into oh shit, when see what you wrote Wayne oh, brings it up. Right. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. The, this plays into the same sort of section where Wayne figures it out or where wax, wax. figures it out. Yeah. And it creates this weird scenario where we're constantly getting not necessarily foreshadowing, but kind of false foreshadowing, I guess. Delayed feedback almost from characters. That's the way that I've thought about it. Cause like wax is on the wrong foot when this chapter ends, he does not actually know who bleeder is. And he is, he's got the wrong heading coming out of the end of the section, but we, we have a very different perspective from Wayne. And so, but throughout this entire book, yeah, we're getting Wayne really focusing in on people's accents and saying like, I'm going to catch a Chandra using an accent improperly. They're going to be, they're going to screw up. They're going to like, and he's constantly looking out for it and constantly talking about it. And we finally get this scenario where he catches it and we don't, he doesn't get to give the, the payoff for us as readers. It's really strange. It's like a false foreshadowing payoff. Mm-hmm. I totally understand where you're getting at. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what to call it. Yeah. I don't know if I like it or not. <laughs> I, again, talking about criticisms, this is one of my big criticisms for this book. And I think it, it belays a couple of different times that it happens. But this is the biggest example to me is that we're getting an Agatha Christie-esque moment, which is to say that we we have a character of whom in the moment realizes something but we don't actually have enough context to understand what they realized versus in an Agatha Christie novel, we're kind of piecing it together with dramatic irony well throughout those moments. This is something that's separate and that like it just it doesn't quite feel right. It's not Brandon is playing the part as a writer of a mystery novelist here and at the same time doing the magic, doing the world building, doing everything else. And I think the mystery novel that this is trying to center itself around falls to the end of the, the genre choice, if that makes sense. Like, it, and it deserves the most attention because it is the driving point of the plot, but it is not fortunately yeah. for our perspective. I think it would require an additional scene, like an additional scene of wax, not knowing that the governor is bleeder and us seeing the resolution of Wayne figuring it out, getting caught, getting subdued, and then watching that interaction while like gagged and tied, not able to interact, but watching the interaction of Wax and Innate, I think that could have been a really cool scene. And then have Wax find it out or, or uh, Wax seeing Wayne off in the corner just at a glance and then piecing things together from there. You're right. When we get, then we get the dramatic irony. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I think that could have been played differently. I think the only reason that it makes any kind of sense to play it this way is the intimacy at the end of this that we have between wax and Lessie. And so I think it's important. And Brandon is trying to highlight those. Brandon has written himself, I think, a trap here that he cannot work himself out of, which is that his main character and 
all of this is his the entire focus of the story should be on the relationship between Bleeder and Wax and the way that they interact and fight each other. However, in this immediate moment, we like you're saying should be seeing it from Wayne's perspective because it would be a funner. It would be a more fun scene if we saw it from Wayne's perspective in the closet. Like this would be a very fun scene to see through the slits of a closet and like hear it happen. It'd be a fun scene from a film perspective. It'd be a fun scene from a writing perspective, but in It'd this be fun moment, to hear Wayne interject his like thoughts into their interactions. Exactly. Totally agree. But, Wax, it's so important that Wax doesn't recognize that this is Lessie in the moment and that it's just this recognition that it's Bleeder, that it's Condra, and that reveal, it's a mixed bag. Like, I think the other way is better. Could I know without having written it myself? I, did, I don't know. I guess my my problem with it is why even show Wayne almost, or why why show Wayne finding it out and then not having any yes. resolution to that. Like Be- it felt just, I don't know. It's, it's like a false hint. It's like a false hint to us. And it, because we actually don't get a physical hint. Yeah. So that's, that's where I kind of feel bummed out in this book is specifically in this moment is that I think this is a little mishandled, mm-hmm. but I do still like the book. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously we're jumping ahead a little bit because we were talking about the impersonation, but this all feeds into the whole concept. So this chapter before we go into part three, as we said, which is just one long chapter continuously, um, Wax and Tensoon continue running down the tunnels and manage to escape through a very narrow corridor. It feels like in this moment when we're made aware that Wax is climbing through the pits of Hatsin, that Sanderson is kind of playing us a greatest hits of era one. And and to me, that means like this for all intents and purposes didn't need to be the pits of Hatson. Why would it be centered around the pits of, why would the pits of Hatson be here? Why would they be preserved? Like what rationale does harmony have to preserve the pits as they stand? I have an argument. I want to finish the, the point here. Anyway, they eventually escape, and Wax begins to piece together what he believes to be Bleeder's plan, even though, as we've said before, it's going to be incorrect. He's got an incorrect footing, but he has an idea, and he's heading out on that hunch. As we've already said, this has been defeated. This idea has been defeated. But talking about the, you know, greatest hits thing, what do you think? Yeah, I think the regarding the Pits of Hatson and why are they still around, I think... For one, this is a very significant religious and historical center point to be revered, to be remembered. But also, this is a natural phenomenon in which an unnatural metal seeped through the earth and deposited itself. And that's something that seemingly hasn't been understood to a certain, like to a very detailed respect and could still be studied by harmony and maybe more more better understood more better more better i think that's that's proper that's proper grammar more better in this context a a, better understood you don't need the adverb there but okay yeah you're probably right but more better more better i i do totally get it and i think that you're right I think there's a reason that you're right. 
for the record, we know that the pits of Hatson hold a place of importance for Ruin before he died, right? So we know that that was something that was important to Ruin in the way that they were directed inside of Era 1. So would they mm-hmm. they would be also simultaneously because we know harmony and whatnot the well of ascension is important to preservation preserving both of those things regardless of the excuse in which you do so probably important to harmony for different reasons shoving them together though he's shoving the powers together shoving the monuments kind of close together or the, the the thing you know yeah i can get it i'm just it's like when you're cleaning your desktop yeah. And you take everything, you create a new folder that's just labeled desktop shit, and you put yeah. everything God damn it. in there, and you start fresh. I did this this week. I have words and whiskey digital cleaned, and I have words and whiskey digital dirty. And I'm trying to move everything from dirty into cleaned into organized piles. And God damn it, do I not feel exactly what you're talking about? Because <laughs> uh, you're right. You're, you're entirely right. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was fairly heavily implied in the first book that these pits would be repopulated with ATM. Because after they're spent, they're going. it's going to go somewhere. It's not mm-hmm. just fucking gone. It's been spent and it will be reconstituted and recycled somehow is kind of the the implication that was laid forward. So, yes, you're right. Just keep in mind as well, the, the extra layer there is that there's a separation between, I'm going to call it body and spirit of the god, which is that the pits of Hatson and Atium were the body of the god and the spirit was trapped inside of the well of ascension because preservation used their body to trap the spirit. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I understand that. I mean, the physical metal itself, but the physical sounded metal like it was going there. If the body isn't absorbed, it doesn't exist. And I think the body does exist with harmony. Like harmony has the body of ruin and the body of preservation. Right. Does that make sense? Like that's my yeah. Either here's 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 my long ball to you is the well of ascension isn't restoring itself in the way that it did prior because harmony is wearing the well of ascension, so it doesn't need to restore the body somewhere else because it's just with them. And simultaneously, you also have the body of ruin, which was the pits of Hatson, which is just going directly to harmony again. So the powers are gradually becoming stronger and stronger and stronger in them over time as they regenerate, as opposed to the sort of dichotomous separation that had happened on Scadrial because these powers were fighting each other and had separated themselves into two pieces apiece. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's my, that's my long ball. Does it make sense pitch? So, Yeah. I'd need a lot more time to like contextualize and mythological really... breakdown. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I get it. I'm providing context that, <sighs> you know, sometimes mm-hmm. one of the biggest bummers of this book, these books are that it's all worked out in between the lines and then just reaffirmed. But yep. that said, that's the explanation to me as to why, the pits 
still exist in the way that they do and why they would consider preserving them is if the body was separated, it seems as though it would return to this location, just like the Wall of Ascension being preserved for the same reason. Right. So, shoulder shrug emoji. Cool. All right. With that, we get into part three, the chapter, the, the final chapter. So we've spoken about before this chapter starts with something that we've already talked about quite a bit here, but it's an absolute flyby as wax meets back up with Marisi and Milan. They, you know, they've both been locked out of the governor and Nate's office while he practices his speech. Of course, we know that's on him. It's bleeder wax bursts in because, you know, he's wax and quickly discovers that something is very wrong with this picture of which we've talked a lot about what was wrong with the picture. PJ, what, what was, what was, the problem so this felt forced as well busting through the door like that felt really weird it didn't feel that weird to me but i'm curious as to why it felt weird to you it felt weird to me because he's going into this still assuming it's governor and eight yeah but no one's talking to him like no one's interacting with the man and i'm not saying that like he's skeptical but at the very least he is you didn't try knocking well because and he had no reason to think I don't think that he thinks Nate is the bad man here. I don't think he's walking into the room assuming that Nate is what's wrong. I think he wants to talk to Nate and then realizes something is wrong. Right, I know. Like, so what's what's up with this like super aggressive bust through the door, break the the latch, and just go up and ask for the passcode thing? Like, it, I think that's what's really important, though. To your point, I think it's what's really important about what happened at the end of the last part, right, is that Wax is on the wrong train of thought. Like, he is not he is not actually figured out who Bleeder is. He actually thinks very incorrectly about it, and so he's trying to inform the governor because he thinks that something unsafe is going to happen to the governor. Then, while in the room with the gum and everything else, he starts to work it out piece by piece. So... Right. This is that construction. I don't find the charging in wrong, but I do understand the general idea that Wax feels bad in the moment. Like, yeah, we, we talked about it a little bit before. Like, this is this is one of those things where it's like, this is a bit of a plot convenience. It's not a, it's not a plot contrivance, but it's a plot convenience. But I think even if you would have just knocked on the door, Bleeder would have answered. The governor would have answered. I don't think so, because they weren't answering beforehand, right? Yeah. Not to be contacted. So. Yep. 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 I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's entirely correct, but it's just my first instinct. No, that's fair. I just think it could have, it set it up as an aggressive situation. Encounter. Yeah. Encounter. When I, when I think it could have been even more intense, an even more intense shift in vibe. When he finds the gum, if he was let into the room, if he like called yeah, out to Governor Nate and was let in, no debates here. I think that this is one of the weakest parts of the section, as discussed previously. I think that yep. this is one of the this is the weakest part of the novel to me, and I don't we don't often talk about because I I don't think it often it's worth like highlighting. But this is one of the problems with this book in my head. And that this is a core issue that you just have to square up with and deal with the fact that this is a contrivance to make other things work well. Right. So you can't fix it. So you just got to deal with it, which is why I get why people rate this lower. I like 
the character moments that happen because of it higher, which is why I rate it better, but it's not everyone's mm-hmm. cup of tea. So, Fair. yeah. This chapter closes with the reveal after the reveal here. Wax putting together the puzzle pieces and realizing that when it was Bleeder hit that had taken over Governor Nate's place. She takes down the guards as they rush into the room as Wax calls out for assistance and they begin to aim at him because, of course, they're not going after the governor. But Milan manages after, you know, Bleeder takes them all down. Milan manages to grab a hold of her when signaled by Wax. Of course, she is subsequently dispatched and Bleeder escapes just narrowly and we find Wayne gagged in the closet. Mm-hmm. I do want to make mention here. This is the scene that I was talking about that is the most confusing action-wise inside of the novel as well, in which there aren't a whole lot of issues, but my number one complaint, honestly, most of my complaints about this book happen within this single chapter, and maybe you could talk about the last chapter, the last half of the chapter of setup, because, like, this is, in my head, not properly explained in the way that Wax is spatially in the scene which is what's very upsetting to me as he goes to the window and as she's shooting back and around and whatever else. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just my, feelings. um, he shoots her, right? He shoots the governor before getting like fired at by the, yeah, by the yeah, guards, he does right? manage yeah. to shoot her. Yeah. Which fuck all is that going to do? Right. Um, I'm with you on the confusing aspect of it at the same time, the little bit that I can envision and understand and assume I understand what's going on. I get sort of dark carnival piano cascading score around it. It feels very cartoon Batman. ish. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the best way to describe it. There's a very specific Bit of imagery I in my head. Going for I just never. I didn't. I didn't picture it that way. I can get it though. Like I can absolutely piece that together in my head. I I see it less as it is still a cartoon Batman, but I see it less as like Batman the animated series, and I see it more as Batman Begins for whatever reason in my head. Dude, Same yeah. fucking shit, but you know, just a different coat of point paint. Yeah, I I can I can get that. Um, hmm. Yeah. And Do you get what I mean by dark, dark, dark carnival? Like, oh yeah, piano? yeah, entirely. I'm, I'm yeah. hearing exactly where you're laying down. I'm hearing early to mid 2010s Escape the Fate, like just that like bouncy piano that's like jaunty over the top of like these different moments happening, and like, yeah, I totally hear it. And then, then total like high note cascading, like. As she rushing. crashes out the window and yeah yeah totally i i get it i the visual makes sense to me the audio visual i <laughs> or, should say yeah 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 i get i get the matching <sighs> god it's it's so it's fucking so good at the same time there's some very bad faults and i i work very hard to look past those couple of faults and this is the chapter that is filled with faults set up the rest of everything else. So as long as I can emotionally and mentally take in those faults, I'm like, just say, hey, that's okay. The ending of this book is fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. But this is the chapter, chapter and a half, if you want to consider right before this point with with Wayne, in which I have the largest problem with of any book we've read. Yeah. 
because we don't I'm not I'm not one to like sit and just criticize. I'd often laud praise for like trying to make things work, but this is the one junction where the gears just don't quite they they click and they grind and I just I personally have to give them the little grease to make it turn. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is this chase scene, right? Kind of. Yeah, I mean it's it's not the chase scene after this works for me. It's it's the setup. It's this it's this governor oh, room yeah. scene for me that doesn't gotcha, work. Gotcha. I the chase scene had, works. I thought perfectly. you were moving forward. No, no. I'm, I'm trying to just clarify with the end of this. Like this is this is the chapter that doesn't work for me. So let's not go on it too much. Let's, I'm not trying let's to move forward. Yeah, let's let's absolutely. We'll talk about chapter twenty three. This is. I like this chapter. As <laughs> we've been talking about things that we don't like, Wax takes off after Bleeder and loads the single bullet that Renette had made for him that when given him outside of the closet, and they have this kind of brief interaction at the end of that chapter. He finds that she's changed bodies, and he's still going after her in this moment. She, as we said before, quickly extrudes one body and goes into the next. I can't believe that I said extrudes a body. That's disgusting. It's pretty gross. <laughs> yeah, it's very gross. But she's back in his head again as he chases her, which is a great moment again of playing inside of the mind and begging the question of who can interact with whose mind through these metals and talks about how he had been cultivated for harmony to be his hand to move his pawns around the board. She swapped her powers out for that of a coin shot in the moment because she ran the metal mine out. But wax wax is this is his domain. Steel yeah. and the mists are his domain. God. That's that's a pretty in, impressive stinger, especially with Michael Kramer's performance. I think the last few episodes we've been saying that at least once or twice every episode. But mm-hmm. yeah, this was a point that was a highlight for me for this section of Michael Kramer's audiobook performance. There's one italicized word in the sentence, and it is, instead of it being, like, the entire delivery of the line is altered because of that one italicized word, and it is fucking amazing. Like, this is such a kicker of a phrase. Like you said, praise, laud praise onto Michael Kramer, because before God go I. Such great work. Mm -hmm. Hmm. All right. So that's the first half of the chapter. Anything else to say about the chase or anything else that's going <laughs> it's, on? It's, it's mean, so it's, crazy because it's like this is five pages <laughs> we're talking about. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I still suffer from that sort of can't quite visualize it as mm. well as I wish I could. It's not quite as bad as like later on with the what I mentioned earlier with the with the two sort of factions going to battle with each other. But it's still a little fuzzy in my head. This does get into that thing, though, with these chapters, this like set of three or four chapters that we have in a row here, which is that it feels like by conjoining them, you would have avoided some of that scene by scene confusion or at Mm -hmm. the very least melding the perspectives a little bit closer. You could have avoided that, which is just weird. It's an oddity more than anything else. So, yeah, I agree. But with that, we cut to the other perspective here. Wayne and Marcy and Milan find the governor's bones that Bleeder had ditched that we saw from Wax's perspective and begin to set up a different part of the plan, one in which Milan will imitate the governor and give the speech instead. It's a clever moment. It is. There's some funny interactions that happen here, specifically between 
Milan and Wayne. I think that's oh. here, right? I'm pretty Where sure Wayne, Wayne says that he can, she can nibble on his arm just to see if he tastes good. <laughs> PJ. Uh, compared to everyone else. But I had an idea that I pitched to Crossland and he seemed quite disturbed by it. But I want to know if it's possible and I want to know if it's a valid. I can think of some actual like not horror sort of aspects of things, but just to sort of give background on what I'm thinking about. Wayne is able to regenerate body parts. We know that through context and and him talking about sort of things that he's done in the past. Could he hypothetically give bits of his body to Milan to eventually over time create an entirely like exact replica of himself with the exception probably being the head and that makes everything fall apart because that's the most difficult difficult part to improv anyway whatever that's what i called crossland about he seemed very shocked and disturbed by that idea but it was kind of fun to giggle with him about it but the actual practical side of this is those two pairing up and Milan finding herself in a situation where she needs more muscle mass. She needs to just be a little bit more robust. This would allow potentially her to consume some of Wayne's physical mass, bolster herself up, and he can just regain that muscle, that meat through his gold reserves. And it, it's a cool, like, team up effect between the two of them that could i could i could see becoming uh, a real thing i'm disturbed by your brain <laughs> as far as it, that goes it, it should be made very clear that when you called me about this i was in shock and awe and wished that you weren't in your card in the moments in which we were talking about this and we could have been like sat in front of a microphone just to record it and like either insert it into the episode or release it as bonus content or something because we stretched out this conversation for quite a while. And the idea that like because Wayne can store up health, he could in fact <laughs> over time <laughs> gradually feed Marisi most of his bones. Sorry, yeah, Milan. He could feed Marisi most of his bones too. That's just it wouldn't be I mean, he could. I don't he think could she'll feed, do much with them. Right, exactly. He could feed Milan most of his bones over time and then heal back that material as as he stores his health, which is just a it's incredible. I want them to just perform the movie the prestige (laughs) as as each other for anyone who hasn't seen the prestige but not really (laughs) because you don't know what the fuck is going on especially considering the prestige they don't have to like it's truly better the it's the best version of itself on the second watch it's the only movie that is the best version of itself i can get behind that but you'd get a step deeper in that Milan can't act like can't actually die, so she could take well, a mortal she shot. She could take a she, mortal wound. Right. Like she could, yeah. But I'm I'm saying you wouldn't have to dispose oh, of would, like dead yeah, corpses. You'd always you would always have the one brother. Yeah. Okay. I see. I see you. 
You would have you you wouldn't need yeah right. Ooh, the bottom of the stage <laughs> would need to exist where the bodies pile up. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, I get it. Fuck. So I want to see those two become a magic duo that travels the countryside. I don't know. That would be fun. W and M Industries. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. Lawn. I don't know. I was just I was imagining the traveling troop. That said, PJ, when you called me and talked about this, I was so I was. I loved it. I loved the idea. I was also simultaneously very disturbed <laughs> trying to work it out. Like, think about it backwards. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Now we're here. Here we are. Now we're here. Cool. With that, we're going to talk about chapter 24, which is another miraculously short chapter. Again, part three, the chapter should have been the way that this was all titled. But we start off this section with an intense chase, Wax making after Bleeder as she leaps through the city trying to shake him off of her tail, but to no avail. He manages to catch up to her and she interrogates him on what he would do and how he feels Harmony should be punished for his actions and his lack of action in different moments in which people didn't need to die or deserve to die. Bleeder drops the mask that she's, the wooden mask that she's wearing, and Lessie's face stares back at him. She, she she talks a little bit and drops some information that she would have had to have been there in order for her to know. Yes. Um, probably. And mostly. I, I don't probably probably you're right. There's a shadow of a doubt. Like you, you couldn't prove that from this conversation, but I was definitely on the train of like, Oh fuck. This is Le- This is Lessie. It's been her the whole time. Fuck shit, fuck. And I can't believe that that didn't cross Wax's mind at all at that point. I guess he was still under the oper- like operating under the assumption that she was bloody tan in the moment. But or that she was dead. Or that Lessie was genuinely dead. I mean that's I knew, that's I, the other part of this that is like it is so it's possible to conceive, obviously, as we can think about it, that like Lessie was the Chandra, which we can believe. But it it is not in my head, it was not inside of the realm of possibility up until around this point. This is when it starts this, to enter the, yeah. Yeah, this point specifically, when when she reveals Lessie's face, and mm-hmm. he even makes comment about his understanding of Chandra and that they can be very, very close and almost identical. Even with that understanding, he still is unnerved by how perfect she is in in imitating the mannerisms and like that was a tip off for me and i i was this is where that theory came into my head Hmm. and it wasn't that long before the payoff happened like it was but up until this point you never assumed the bleeder was lassie that never crossed my mind no and until so like right here because and then it then it clicked in this this is what's so fascinating to be about the story because the central mystery that brandon is playing on is who is bleeder but we don't know that until it's until almost too late which is yeah. which is what's crazy versus a lot of these other mysteries that we talked about being like not quite played correctly this is the one that is the focal point of the story and i think it's played brilliantly but I think we we lose the thread a little bit in terms of the overall story because some of the other ones aren't executed as well. But this one, mm. brilliantly done. God, this again, this story strikes me to my core because of the way that it affects Wax in 
throughout and then in the end. Again, we're breaking this chapter into the digestible chunks that these moments are broken up as we move back and forth between perspectives in the chapter. But to me, to talk about on the show, we're talking about the one chunk and then we'll talk about Marisi's chunk. So moving into Marisi, as she as Milan begins to give the speech, she notices a strange sense of calm over top of herself and the crowd. Marisi quickly addresses Reddy, who thinks she's silly, but lets loose a little yawn, realizing that she's correct, that there is obviously a soother's influence over top of the crowd. This is a great comedic beat because he's like, I don't fucking like you. Why do I? Why am I suddenly kind of indifferent? But they proceed to hunt for the soother among the crowd. And I again love this moment. And I I understand we talked about this so much inside of this episode, so I don't want to belabor the point, but. This is just one of those things where it works perfectly for TV, for novel. It feels disjointed with with a couple of the chapters that move forward, but I I understand why. But mm-hmm. I love I love these moments. I love each individual moment, regardless of my thought and structure. This at this point, we also get a breakdown of how soothing works and how rioting conversely works. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems overly simplified to the point where. It, contra- it it almost feels like it contradicts how we've seen rioting and soothing be used in the past. Just to be more particular about it, more specific about it, it's described that it can either be used on an individual or on an, a group of individuals within an area, as opposed to being able to pick and choose who are being affected within that area. And I don't know if that's just the fact that we've really strictly dealt with very adept alamancers like breeze or if it's just an oversimplification for the sake of getting the information out really concisely i can't there are three different points that could be made there right like you're saying one was breeze potentially a savant that we were kind of unaware of which is an option two the bloodlines at the time are more powerful because of their proximity to the original Alamancers. So therefore they have more power and so the bloodline. So maybe they can affect things differently. And the third point, those two definitely make sense. The third is what you were saying, which is that it's an oversimplification to address it to the audience as accurately and as quickly as possible. I would lean on, I think it's one of the, I think it's either one or two. I can't justifiably point to one or the other. And as such, it implies three or it like communicates three as well. So like I think one or two could be the explanation, but I think both belie three. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. But it, it was regardless of, of that sort of tangent. Yeah, right, right. It was a very funny bit. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a especially that bit between Reddy and Marisi, because obviously this comes up later is like she they've been fighting this whole novel and even going back. So it's, it's great to kind of see this kind of come to a head in conflict and, and like she knowing that she read the room correctly. That's what I think is so good here is that it reaffirms that like she is emotionally aware of her stance against ready and ready then acknowledges it and then realizes that, wait, I fucked up. I shouldn't have done that. And then comes around to the idea that because he acknowledged it, like this whole thing is wrong. Yeah, it's it's a very strong moment, especially as later she recommends that he's appointed as, you know, constable of the Octon instead of her. 
which is right. very cool. I'm curious if it's in part to do with this scene where while being open about the flash of honesty. actual feelings there's there's still a I'm putting police work in front of personal feelings here that and mutual respect despite I, I think, personal feelings I think that's valid I think that could definitely be the case um hmm. a good thought and I don't think it's a single individual like point no, that that Marisi like decides that based on but Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would agree with you. It's not it's not the singular point. It's that this reinforces what she already understands about Reddy, because Reddy is a truthfully like as we've seen him over the course of the story, he's a good dude. He's been pressing forward. He's jealous a hundred percent, and jealousy you know is is a negative, and he's envious of of her position, but is not. It's not as though he's acting upon the envy in a negative fashion. He's not holding his own envy against her and the work that she does. Right. He does occasionally remark, but does not actually, you know, paint it completely in a negative picture after the fact. So. Mm -hmm. Makes Reddy a really great dude, you know, for all Mm -hmm. intents and purposes. So with that, we go into chapter 25. We come back to Wax in a confrontation with Bleeder, Palm, Palm, Lessie, and man, you can feel his heart shattered again, just awestruck, almost like Wax was all the way back at the beginning of Alloy of Law. He feels like he's been dropped in this moment, and he he can't shoot her again. He can't move himself to move against her in this moment, where the first time was an accident, and this time it would be him choosing to shoot the woman that he loved, despite him believing that it's a, a clone, a copy, you know, a body inhabited by someone else he doesn't doesn't believe that this is the same person despite us knowing by the end of this that it is right we talked a little bit earlier about the idea of unfridging lessie and this that feels so very real here specifically but beyond that we've already addressed that we don't have to dwell on that at all there is a ton of just raw emotion pouring from wax in this section and I think that's something that Branderson hasn't done much up until now within the Cosmere or within the within the Mistborn, Mistborn series is series. But like even with Sazed and his interactions with Tindwill and his his well of feelings going forward from there was nowhere close to as raw and emotional as how everything is described in this moment and the the decision-making process here. It is... Oh, God. It... Ugh! It is so... It is so tough to, like, sit and contemplate a lot of these moments because it is... It is one of these things that I... There are a few writers that I think that I wish could fundamentally go back to their older work and like lend the strength to moments. And this is just one of those that were like, oh, God, I just uh, I wish you could give the same emotion to like some of these depressive moments to say is it it's part of the reason I think that I'm also a little bit tougher on Arrow one than I am than most people are is because reading further in the chronology, I'm like, well, why aren't weren't you that good back then? There's a consistency problem. I mean. It's a growth. It's a growth trajectory. Don't get me wrong, but God. 
this raw emotion is what I wanted from Ellen and Vin at the end of their respective lives, you know, like, mm-hmm. or the analysis. And I, I get that Vin in the moment you can, you can paint it with a brush and say that she was under the influence of preservation. And so was unable to feel a lot of those like deeper moments despite his death. But I think as a force of preservation, she would feel even more profound depth because she wants to preserve people's lives. And this individual that means so much to her as an, as a person should mean that she feels more. So, right. Yeah. I guess it's my like mixed bag. And the whole thing is like, I love the way that Sanderson grows. I think that personally love era as it stands. I, I really, I really enjoy each and every one of the books. I only look at era three and four as up and up and up from here because mm-hmm. he's only gotten better. And I think he's gotten more consistent consistently, even since this book and it's released in 2016. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know that you don't understand that, but for me, it's, it's just like, I have so much context and I have so many different books to pull on. And, you know, <laughs> I've read the wheel of time books and I have all of these different feelings but I think that as we continue to explore the Cosmere and we wander down these different paths, you know, I'm glad we started with Mistborn and I'm glad we're going to end where we're going to end. We're going to continue the stories we're going to continue into because it's it's just more flexes of these moments in better context. So, all right. right. <clears throat> with that, we move from the deep moment with the wax bleeder palm Lessie into Marcy and Reddy, of whom are trying to handle the situation with the metalborn born riders that are apparently in the carriage that are going to be leading this from the back lines, clearly provided by the set to ensure that tonight ended up the way that it was intended. The two groups of warriors clash in the streets here, those of the police force and those of the set supporters over this very small battlefield and Marcy feels the intensity of this conflict and compares it to things in era one. And I'm sorry, babe, I can't think of a single battle that is this small scale in era one, but I you know, I can get you feeling those moments of those adrenaline, like hearkening back in your head, especially if your figure of history is Vin and so you're channeling that in these moments. She manages to make her way into the carriage throughout this battlefield, successfully distracting two of the guards. She tells them to stop fighting in the alleyway with such a wonderful line here that I want to quote. She has like two different paragraphs that kind of play off of this, but the final line, a true gentlewoman uses the threat of violence instead. It's just so much more civilized, and it feels like it's plucked like this this entire fragment out of everything that Sanderson has written that I've read feels like it's the most directly plucked out of something that Martin would have written. Like this is that dichotomous phrase that just gives you that bitter sense of irony of a character, the way that they were raised and the way that they present themselves in front of someone. It's it's wonderful. I love it. This is that part that I've been talking to a couple of times throughout the show that I I was confused by it felt unclear to me and maybe it is strictly me and my sort of inability to actually visualize things. Uh, no, I, but I, I just I couldn't understand it. The record. I, I think that this is very loosey goosey and it leaves too much to the imagination. 
Mm-hmm. But so. regardless, the conversation in the carriage was awesome. Perfect. Yeah. And it felt like a very adult version of Marisi. Uh, more well-composed and well-rounded constable that she's been curating herself to become. So that was cool to see. Yeah. Fuck. Man. It's gone. It's, I did. Yeah. I, again, this is where, where I have tough, I have tough segments with this book where it's like, there are character moments that are incredible. There are plot beats that are underplayed. And unfortunately, the collection of plot beats make a ton of sense. And the character moments make a ton of sense. The prose is just like just slightly too under seasoned or like too underdone to fill out the sections. And this is just another one of those. But man, the character beats are just so meaty and wonderful that I can't fucking resist. I'm weak. Weak at the knees. (laughs) I'm weak. So we move back to wax and Lessie, and he recovers vindication having lost it from an alimantic push from Lessie uh, much earlier and aims it at her wax whispers you're wrong about me i'm not harmony's hands i'm his sword and shoots her with the alimantic spike forged from wax's earring that he was gifted so many years ago by milan and harmony can seize control of palm once again can you imagine if this had gone too well? Like if the bullet was too well made and it just passed right through. <laughs> what was going to happen then? I think the other part of this is like there. there's the other part, which is like she doesn't dodge because she doesn't need to. She's immortal. She would never dodge. She hasn't dodged any of the shots for the most part intentionally. She doesn't needed to, you know, and, and there's that part of like, what if she would have dodged? You know, yeah, this one gambit that this whole thing is stretched on works out. Mm-hmm. Ugh, that's tough. There's a lot riding on that. Yeah, but hey, it worked out. It was kind of cool. At the same time, great foreshadowing for this moment on Brandon's part because he talks so often about Wax wishing that he could talk with Harmony, but he doesn't have his earring. And it's it's yeah. been like it's been over the course of the last two weeks that he's been like fuck, I wish I could talk to Harmony. And like, God, in this moment, he's fingering the place where his earring is. And you're like, why isn't he just sick? He has it in his pocket. Like, he's always had it in his pocket. In this moment, you're like, oh, fuck. That's what Renette <laughs> forged. And that's a good moment. Like, this mm-hmm. is another good payoff from a mystery perspective. It's like he nailed three out of five mystery moments. Like, perfectly <laughs> nailed them. But the other two are just so absent that I'm like, oh, God damn it. But this one, oh, it's heart wrenching, especially as the way the next chapter unfolds. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, we go back to chapter 26. We head back to Marisi and fucking autocorrect Reddit. <laughs> we go back to chapter 26. We head back to Marisi and Reddy holding the soother woman hostage and demanding that she calms the crowd as Milan is not doing an excellent job as a Nate. Or like, kind of, <laughs> like if you think about it long enough, she kind of is doing a good job <laughs> as a Nate. <laughs> Replicating him almost to a fault because she's stirred up the crowd to being very mad. <laughs> His response and the way that he's acting, it feels very much like a Nate, the person. So like you can understand that he can deceive the crowd in that way. As is, our little crew can't do much about the goings-on on the stage until Aradel pulls out a brilliant move from a distance 
and arrests Governor Nate Milan for corruption while also channeling the people to help him all at once. It's pretty incredible to see in this moment. Like, Ariadale steps up in a massive way. And it's so Mm -hmm. excellent as well to see a character that I would consider a second or third tier character at this point take a prime stage in a moment. Like, this is a grandiose stepping forward, which is cool. This is a really complicated scene. There's a lot of pieces that really do click together, which is fun and satisfying. I do want to kind of nitpick your terminology a little bit. You say that Marisi and Reddy hold the soother woman hostage. They put her in custody. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Fair point. I I was saying hostage because they're denying her a lot of legal rights. If that makes sense. Like they're, they're denying again. They are the law. Like, she asks specifically for the equivalent of a lawyer in the middle of this conversation. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, why don't I get my representative? And they're like, eh, fuck you. <laughs> <We don't care. laughs> uh, I didn't hear that part. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a crazy moral bend for Marisi, but Marisi's yeah. been bending that way though. She has, she's been bending more and more. She's, she went, she's gone from inflexible to a little bit. She, she could be bent. Not broken, just bent. To corrupt. (laughs) I'm kidding. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you can make it. She is not corrupt necessarily, but one can see that trajectory as a possibility in the future. Mm -hmm. I think so. Will Marisi become a corrupt New York cop? Mm hmm. That seems redundant. No. I mean, okay. (laughs) Fair point. Anything else on Maracene Reddy and Milan in this moment? I think what we're seeing is a different progression that leads to the same place compared to what Wax went through. Like, Wax jumped into the roughs as a means of like testing his metal and, and really becoming well respected and earning money. Whereas Marisi and well, and as a result, he became jaded and yeah. really tough out of necessity. Whereas right. Marisi is kind of, I mean, it's, it's the city and it's a very different vibe that she's living within. But it's still a level of jadedness that she's experiencing and it's maybe a little bit slower and a little bit different and she's being broken down by bureaucracy rather than straight up like horrible people that she's hunting. Mm-hmm. But the end, end result I think is ultimately going to be the same. A Is it pessimistic or is it realism? I, I feel like it's, that's a fairly realistic take. So I'm not going to, I don't want to. I mean, we're seeing the, against it. the evidence of it. She's becoming yeah. less and less rigid. She still has good intentions. And good morals for the most and part. And good morals. But she's constantly finding excuses to Bless. skirt the law. Yeah. Allowing the ends to justify the means. And it's that's true. exactly what she's been against. And ultimately... There are times when she like recognizes that thought process and thinks better of it, like later on with the due process. 
Right, with with Aridel and Mer- or uh, Milan impersonating Nate. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's it, but still questionable motives up until the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, not questionable motives. Her motives are proper, but you know what I mean, like questionable, questionable methods. Yes, thank you. Yeah, entirely what I was aiming for. Yep. So we move on from that moment, and we move into the dire straits that we find Wax and Lessie. And in this moment, Wax, he's realized that he's messed up. That in this moment, Palm, she's chosen to absolve herself and kill herself, dissolving in this moment because she cannot be Harmonies again. She cannot be an agent of Harmony again. There's a lot that is revealed in this moment, like the fact that this is legitimately Lessie and not just a set of bones on any old Chandra. This... In this moment, we talked about these this strength of the story. This recontextualizes a lot of what we've come to know as Wax's past and Wax's history. And he's always been Harmony's pawn. It's only further strengthened when Tensoon arrives and begins to elaborate on the past and what's happened. This is just such a brutally tough moment to comprehend that we've we've talked about it previously rewards multiple reads but this is it's a fucking load to drop on someone man it is tragic this is this is a tragedy yeah yeah it's that's very potentially a whole lot of trust just out the window and could be earned back again but i don't think wax will trust harmony for quite some time yeah and certainly won't intentionally commune with them. Right. Crazy. That's a that's a great prediction because like he's broken. Like his his entire thought process of his religion and the way that he approaches God to begin with is changed fundamentally in mm-hmm. this moment. Even like before he proclaimed proclaimed that he was the sword. Like he was so sure in this moment. And that sureness factually not accidentally i i think this is one of the important delineations he actually killed the person that he loved here versus he had accidentally done it before he chose this despite well, he didn't the actually absence do it before though well my, that that's my point is that he didn't I, actually do it before but like he accidentally killed her beforehand right and so like he could portray it as like it wasn't entirely my fault. Bloody Tan was fucked up. Like there, there was some other shit going on in the scene and in the moment. This is a moment in which he genuinely chooses without full information. We we can give him that. But he genuinely chooses to kill the woman that he loved. That's heavy. Yeah. It's really heavy. That fucks me up, man. Especially eventually knowing like everything that is to unfold in this moment is she begins to dissolve in his arms. Like, Mm. Oh, fuck. Fuck. (sighs) This chapter ends on haunting words. And I want to, want to quote these here, of course, but he says, I killed her. Wax whispered, squeezing his eyes closed. I killed her again. Branderson really knows how to end a chapter on a stinger, huh? And a fucking book. I mean, epilogue, yeah. of course, uh, uh, staining. But like, 
he still ends the book well. Don't get me wrong, but like this is, ha, yeah, <laughs> gut my heart and like rip it out. Jesus, Kali Ma, Kali Ma for sure. For <laughs> Christ, Branderson. Yeah, that's <sighs> that's tough. But I think we've done a pretty good job, pretty extensive job of yeah talking about going the, over it. The way that this sucks. So with that, let's go into the way that it sucks. Exactly. The way that it sucks. These are all just kind of different beats. So we're going to talk about the beats that happen here inside of this more than we're going to talk about anything else. I don't think any of the prose is particularly outstanding in any way that we should, you know, there are no sentences and whatnot, but let's let's hit on the the wrap up moments, so to speak, here in the epilogue. So, okay. Wax stews and is upset and disturbed by the events that have transpired over the course of the novel, including his re-killing of Lessie and Harmony's actions here in the moment. Obviously, he breaks down at the end of the novel, which we'll talk about, but he is truly perturbed and not even like his best friend, Wayne, can like shake him of this temporarily, but it doesn't even being shaken of it doesn't solve the problem. He you mentioned he breaks down later, but he is broken here. Yeah, like he is comatose, staring into the fire, not interacting with anybody through the entirety of this section. And I would be, too. I think like this is a rocking of someone's faith. It's the re-murdering of your previously murdered love interest, which is killed. just such insanity <laughs> to say out loud. Yeah, the re-murdering. <laughs> 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 what <laughs> and like let them die in a goopy mess in your arms and only when they're a goopy mess in your arms do you realize that they were the love of your life like that's the worst part to me the worst part of this is a lot of people are like i wish i could say something else to someone who died that i love and that i adore and he held that person in his arms and was unaware that it was the person that he loved and adored for most of his life and could have said something, but never had never really was able to take the opportunity to because he didn't connect the dots. He didn't figure it out until mm-hmm. it was too late that this was genuinely that person for him. Yeah. Oh, how fucked up. Mm-hmm. How fucked up, Mr. Sanderson. Pretty fucked up. God damn it. It's messed up. Okay. So given that information. I do appreciate that Wayne is able to break him at the very least out of this and different moments like is able to, you know, create a conversation with the man of whom is otherwise a stoic. But to your point, it's only Wayne. It's only Wayne that is able to break him of this. Wayne briefly. Yeah, right. And it's it's about something else. So it's it's like it's a distracting thing that pulls him away from it and makes him not think about it. And then he resumes his gloom (laughs) almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking of Wayne, I really appreciate this moment that we we cut to Wayne and Wayne makes right on the by the daughter of the man who invented the light bulb, Miss Tarkcell. And this this is a sweet moment for a couple of reasons. This has paralleled, I think throughout the story, the situation that Wayne found himself in with the family that he had wronged. And so this feels like a family that he can actually make it up to and do something right by, so not that's- by the fact Sorry. Go ahead. No, um, go ahead. That's a point that isn't made clear and I think is intentionally so not made clear. But I take this as a replacement. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know if that's necessarily the case. It's redemption entirely. Right. But he's understanding that he's not actually getting anywhere with the daughter of the man that he killed as a, as a teenager. Whereas he can still pay it forward and help, help sponsor a fatherless child that is coming up in the world. And I don't know if he takes some responsibility, like if, if he has a sense of responsibility for her because he was imitating that person. And he really genuinely does take on a bit of every person that he's imitating, uh, imitating, or if it's more, he thinks that this would be more fulfilling than the sort of frankly humiliating situation that he has to go through every month for the daughter of the man that he killed. I think that he is going to actively choose to still go through the, the act with the daughter. I think this gets into something that we talked about a bit on the devil's cut, which is that Brandon has some character forgiveness issues that I don't fully agree with. And this is a way of kind of rectifying that being like the initial act is unforgivable. I don't, I, I, and like a character, I, I'm going to try to extract it from that because I don't want to try to get into that argument in my own head because I can just I can dive in and argue with myself for hours on how that's a dumb idea. But I do think at the very least this is saying that while that daughter may never forgive for the actions and he will continue to do his monthly penitence to her, he can still do right by someone else that was wronged which at the very least is a net better for society, which is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I I hope that's the case. And I, while I don't think Brandon's pointing to that as a full redemption, I think it's pointing to it as a a potential out. Even that feels shitty because like a... I believe in forgiveness. I believe in the, the potential for forgiveness for people as a concept. And... This, I dislike this idea of seeking secondary <laughs> forgiveness. Although, okay, it is it I'm is okay Wayne. It. Yeah, he's trading. <laughs> great point. A great point. Yeah, actually, genuinely, like I mean, like legitimately, makes sense for the character. It just it bums me out because I believe in the idea of forgiveness and not everyone does. And and maybe that's the other part of this is like the family that he's wronged might never forgive him and might never be capable. And so this is his way of not seeking forgiveness or even absolution, but seeking a release valve of some kind. Yeah. Ugh, right. Shit. It's tough. It's a tough moment. But like this isn't necessarily a tough moment, but like processing Wayne's character and the way that he reacts to this is a tough moment. Agreed. So we see Maracy and Arendelle, the newly appointed interim common blooded governor going over notes and details in his own office. And I love the little exchange that they have here about changing the world and the intent of doing so. It's such a minor thing, but I, I really appreciate it. It's, it's such just like a small moment. I mean, it's, it's something that's been happening time and time again of, and this is something that harmony has been striving for, right? He's been wanting change to come through. He's been wanting innovation. He's been wanting the people to take that into their own hands and not rely strictly on him to, to change things. So Mm -hmm. 
I think it's great that that's pointed out by somebody other than Harmony himself. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's a killer moment, especially because I think it also, I think it is a good job of highlighting like how flawed the ideologies where previous crew were. Right. Like they were take down the noblemen, but most of them were half noblemen. And like while they yeah. didn't have that place in society. Like the idea to begin with was flawed because they did have some like innate advantage, obviously, in the fact that they had allomancy, even though it was derived from a bloodline that was persecuting them like they still had something. And that makes Aridel as the first common blooded governor a, a very unique state to be in. I mm-hmm. I like Aridel as a character. I think that he is he plays a very good role as a secondary character instead of the story. But I appreciate the place that he plays in what is otherwise a very heavily skewed genetically based magic world and he is the the character absence of that imbalance mm-hmm. so yeah yeah it's great so we talked about this a little bit earlier but the milan refuses to stand trial as it would be a lie instead of hanging herself makes a ton <laughs> And instead, choosing to hang herself, excuse me, makes a ton of sense. Enjoyed that little bit of info there that, like, it's just like, yeah, I, she has to figure out how to tie the thing. That's, you know, it's whole the whole thing in and of itself in a joke. But she provides something else here as well. that The metal spike palm had is one that Harmony does not know. Mercy supposed that it could have come from another god in addition to the question of who or what was Trell? And who, boy, my friend, we talked about this earlier, but we have some fucking mysteries to end this book with. Got a lot of there, mysteries. There's some giant fucking questions. There's some really big holes. Yeah. Yeah. There was a ton of comedy there with Milan and mm-hmm. the back and forth saying like, okay, I'm going to go properly hang myself now. Is simultaneously like straight in this scenario, but also just fucking hilarious. Right. Morbid, yeah. but it's, hilarious. It's a funny mo- morbidly hilarious moment is the way to paint it, for sure. Mm-hmm. The, but the end of that. And the other gods. The other gods thing. Trell, he's been, or she, or it, or whatever it is, he's been poking around in the story since book one. It's crazy. Trell's, Trell was the astronomy one, right? The god of many stars. Yep. Yep. The the thousand eyes of Trell, right, which is looking down from the sky. See, that's more down. horrifying than night sky god. The thousand eyes of Trell is it's yeah, that's a terrifying image. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more intense. Mm-hmm. I man, mm-hmm. sorry. No, I I I said yep mm-hmm. because it it's just one of those things that's like. I can't wait for Alloy of Law. <laughs> or sorry, not Alloy of Law. For lost Metal. I can't wait for the Lost Metal oh. because, you know, I, I'm not saying that there aren't answers in the next book, but like, if you imagine that this mystery is going to be resolved in the second book of the trilogy, bro, it's not. It's not. <laughs> we'll get some notes, but like, there are, there are elements, and I know a book worth more of information than you know right now. So I'm very excited for us to do the next four episodes of the show, delve into secret history, and then come back for the Lost Metal 
for like I'm excited a too. four or five episode series. So, yeah, it's wild. It's bending my brain. And obviously this this question of where the fuck did this come from? What is it? Who is it from? Is is obviously central to the idea in the mythos. So, yeah. But man, that's it. I want to know. <laughs> Dude, you're telling me. <laughs> I want to fucking know. But but and I've got good hints. I'm 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 genuinely so obviously in a similar context, we've both read Dark Age and we're waiting for Lightbringer and the subsequent novel Red God to come up to wrap up that series, which was the first one that we covered, which is Red Rising, of course. This one mm-hmm. is the second series, the third series, if we want to separate out the trilogies that we covered and we're going to fucking finish it <laughs> in the same breath, which is going to be very interesting because we'll come to conclusions within a similar time frame and we'll be making predictions or thoughts about the future of the Cosmere inside of that because it's the end of an era. And as such, things are going to get shaken up Oof. like God to fuck. fuck. Jesus. Yeah. I don't know. There's so much possibility at the end of the lost metal. That's pretty insane. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Okay. So to end, we're talking about this book. The story ends with Wax weeping on Sirius's shoulders following these incredibly trying events. And I love the way that there's this build up to the scene in the moment in which he's tending to all the things around him and then sits there with him to like understand this pain. And then he finally gives in. And it's just, it's a deeply profound moment that while not romantic speaks to their relationship and like leans into this idea that they are a couple in a fantastic way. Something more than just a joining of names. It mm-hmm. truly is. There, There is feeling here. An emotional investment. Yeah. Yeah. This is substantial. Again, I talked about this before. I'm, I mean, mention there are a few moments to me that like Brandon writes that feel like are Martin moments, so to speak. Martin writes a lot of things that feel this way in different times and places and whatnot. This feels like a Martin moment. This feels like something that Martin would write being like, I take my time, I sit, and he eventually like looks up and notices and whatnot. And that This just feels like it, it's such a meaty thing to end the book on, to mm-hmm. pin their relationship as a crux of the future between the two. Right. He's profoundly sad at the loss of his past, and she is there to help him into the future yeah god what a book what a fucking book man we we have our gripes i fucking love this book yeah we complained a lot this episode but i think out of love it was it was all yeah it was all of love and it was all in the same like moments for the most part like we contained Mm. it to a couple of different choice things that we disagreed with but i think in the whole man stuff so i do We have one prediction to pay off here. We've got a couple that are going to hold over, but one that we have. So to read, read the whole thing. Eventually, Marx is just barely out of reach again from Wax when he catches a glimpse in the crowd, that of bloody tan. Marx escapes for now, and Wax is picked up by Wayne Mercy in her car. And you said, There's something really fucky that happens here, but it's really quick, and I don't know what to make of it. There's some some sort of time jump. It's a memory lapse. Wax 
comments on being surprised that Marisi had caught up with him so quickly, but lets the disconnect go. Sort of time fucky. It it seems, given the context that we have now, it's just trauma. Yeah, it's PTSD. Like truly, yeah. it's it's a registration of PTSD. But yeah, it's not. It is lessy in the moment in that crowd as bloody tan. Right. Yeah. So it is a genuine moment. Like Wax isn't imagining it, which he thinks he is to begin with. Yeah. I didn't think he was imagining it. You Uh, didn't necessarily, but the text makes it seem as though he was. Right. That's fair. Yeah. Good point. So I do want to, I want to call you out on time fucky. Because it's not time fucky. It's um, not time fucky. There's not a memory like lapse. Sort of a time. Yeah, it's it's really it is it is a PTSD experience which can be attributed to a memory lapse. But right, it is. But yeah, that's not what not. Yeah, it is not what I was going for. Right. right. Yes, the spirit of the thing. I'll All right. It. Cool. Well, with that, that's the end of our week here on the show. With end that. Of the book. End of the book. End of this fucking book. This fucking book we read in four weeks. It's so fucking good. Thank you all for sticking with us through the interim week in which we published the 11th Metal episode in the middle. So I guess it took five weeks. But with mm-hmm. that said, we do actually have a guest next week that we're super excited to talk about. We have Over Average Ben from YouTube. He's he's a great YouTuber that I've I've really appreciated for a long time. He has done a number of things commenting on some like high literature that I really love. And I'm I'm super excited to talk with him about this book. He actually Mm -hmm. read it and caught up with us to talk about it, which is so well. It's like, that's super cool. I I was like, Hey, have you read Miss Warner too? He's like, I've read all of law. And I was like, okay, you pick all of law or shadows of self. And he's like, I'll read shadows of self. Cause I, all of law is really good, but I'd like, I'd like to talk about more than that. So I was like, cool. All right, you get your choice. And so he chose this book to talk about. He read, he actually, before he made the choice, he finished all the books that were published. He's like, I want to talk about Shadows of Self. And I was like, fuck yeah, dude. That's super cool. So, because he had the pick of the litter. So I am so excited to talk with uh, Ben next week about Shadows of Self. Very yeah. pumped. Very excited. Very exciting. Yeah, it's it's going to be a good time. I'm pumped with that. Any other final thoughts that you have PJ on the book or anything like that? I don't think so. Cool. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm excited to jump into the next one, but I've got to wait a couple of days because I need to be strictly on shadows. You of self do. When you record you this, do. So. You can start Warbreaker whenever you like, but fair. Good point. Got to get a, got to get a physical copy. Cool. So with that, that's where we'll leave you for the week. Thank you, as ever, to our producers, Tim and Andrew, for helping us keep our show's lights on. You can check out all of the links in our show notes where you can find our schedule, our Patreon, previous episodes, websites, social media accounts, all in one very convenient location. Yes, like PJ said, you can find us on all of the various social media sites, Words Whiskey Pod, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Words and Whiskey Show at gmail.com, Patreon patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey as well as you can find our t-shirts on t public if you follow the link I, I know i keep talking about this but it will switch it's going it will. to switch we have a screen press we've paid for it 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's coming, but it, we're very excited <laughs> for a lot of the changes that are going going to be coming in the website and other things like that. Other things that you should check out in the near future. We relaunched Tales of Kana this week for the second set of episodes. So we're very excited to be continuing that show. Episode five came out this week, so you should absolutely go check out Catacomb Party, the Tales of Kana, and uh, join us on our little D&D actual play. Yeah. We've been listening to the episode that just came out, all of us individually, and it's so goddamn funny. It's so fucking good. Like, I mean, I was in on the Nick Fury speech to begin with, (laughs) and like when I heard it in the moment, we all giggled, we all laughed, I lost it, lost my shit, and I was so happy for a redacted moment that happens in episode six. So, that said... (laughs) (laughs) you should definitely check out our our fantasy show there we've got a number of other things that are going to be coming out of the channel make sure that you follow us on all the social medias like we said before twitter instagram reddit if you don't follow the parent company atomic pylon media check us out atomic pylon media we're the only one how dare you assume that there's another company that's named something as absurd as atomic pylon media Um, it's a good name Check it out. Like it's, in, it's in all the links. It's in our link tree. You can find us. I love our mm-hmm. name. Our name is great. It's APM, which is APM. APM. Actions it's per just, minute. It's it is a double Starcraft reference, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> Unintentionally excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Cool. All right. Um, Are you going to threaten them to leave a five star review? Because Aaron's going to do that in a couple is this of months. Terrifying woman named Aaron and. I, she likes to threaten people, but I'm scared for myself. If you don't leave us a five-star review, she's going to hurt me, I think. So please help. Please help me. PJ's not wrong. She doesn't have my address. She asked for PJ's. Because, like, oh, fuck. I'm the small one. I'm wimpy. I'm weak. <laughs> the, I, beating me up doesn't intimidate anyone. Beating PJ up intimidates everyone. Mm-hmm. So leave us a five-star review. (laughs) With that, we'll see you next week with Overly Average Ben. Bye. Cheers. Cheers.